Yo, welcome back to Rancher Network Podcast. It's your boy Yak. It's your boy T. We got another killer for you guys today, man. Um, this one's special because this guy is six weeks fresh out. And we were already just having a conversation right off the bat right now before we even start. And I'm low-key tripping right now. I don't even have words to say. Um, everything he, he just said is like straight facts. So with that being said, I want to introduce our boy Dion Whitmore to the podcast. In the today, house. Man. Going, In man. the house, 100%. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for having me, man. Uh, excited about being here and this opportunity, man, to actually like, you know, tell my story. 100%. You know, especially my experiences. Uh, not only re- reintegrating back into society, but also like, you know, how, how I got to this point. In my life, to where I am, sitting right here with you guys, telling this story, man. So, thank you for having me. Yeah, man, no, no, we love sure. it. Thank you for taking the time too, because mm-hmm. um, we know sometimes, whatever, it's a Friday, life hits. People want you to go certain places. Family wants to take you out, especially being fresh out. Yes, sir. You know, so we we appreciate it. You know, likewise, the feeling is definitely mutual. Well, most definitely, you man. Know? Appreciate that. I respect your professionalism too. Like right off the bat, yes. my boy's looking fresh, <laughs> but like the story behind it too is like you know it's just. You want to be able to provide and share this like image with other individuals. Like, you could do it too. You know, Most anybody definitely. can do it, right? But with that being said, I want to talk about um, kind of what brought you to you being six weeks out um, and where it kind of all started, right? So talk to us a little bit about where you grew up and what that looked like for you. All right, so most definitely. Yeah, I grew up in uh, South Los Angeles right here. Probably, right, uh, you know, down at the 120s. Mm. Growing up right there, uh, born and raised. I'm, a, uh, I'm one of seven children. My mother has six boys, one girl. That's nuts. Six boys, one girl. Six boys, okay. one girl. Six boys, one that was girl. Rough, and huh? It was uh, a. Was, was like rough on her. It was rough on her. It was easy for me. Okay. Okay. Easy for me, man. Like I'm a twin. I'm a twin, so we're, we're the middle. We're the, we're the middle kids right okay. there. So I have three older brothers, and technically I have since I'm, me being an older twin, I have three younger siblings. I have my twin, my little sister, and my baby brother. Is this an identical twin or fraternal? Yeah, fraternal. Fraternal, so fraternal is what? That's the one that looks night a little day. different? Yeah, night and day. Yeah, so, is it? Okay. So I, I resemble my uh, my father. He resembles my mother. Right? Gotcha. But we resemble each other to a degree, but definitely night and day. Mm, that's crazy yeah. that that can happen. It just resembles yeah. to this day. I have twins myself, yeah. twin sisters. They're identical, but okay. the trip, I've seen other fraternals that... Like they're like yo, way different. How does that even happen in the same womb? Like how does that go down? Like, <laughs> I don't crazy. know how that works, but it's yeah. crazy because like even us being night and day. We were like growing up, we still got mistaken for one another. Really? Like, like Devin, like he did it. Like, nah, that was that was Devin for real did it. But I, like, still, like just being twins, like you kind of like mm-hmm. you resemble each other for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, so I grew right there. Uh, this and so you had both mom and dad in the picture. Uh, no, okay, no, I well, didn't. Uh, so up until I was like four years old, my mother was in the picture. Mm-hmm. My mother uh, battled with addiction, mm-hmm. and still currently do battle with addiction. So uh, foster care came and split me and my family up when I was about f- five years old. Wow. That's when they first came in the picture. Young, man. You are a baby. Mm-hmm. I was a baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they tried to... Uh, they came in and uh, so took, took us from the custody of my mothers, and I was going to custody of my grandparents. It was my grandfather. Uh, my grandfather was the primary so, uh, care provider, along with my grandmother. And so uh, growing up in two worlds... Between my grandmother and grandfather, my grandfather was more of the strict, you know, firm provider. My grandmother was more loving, more embracing. But one thing about it is, uh, my grandmother had a disability, so uh, she, there was very little she could do. So I grew up in my grandfather's household, and it was a uh, it was a strict it was a strict, you know, uh, 
know, army, you know, military like background. My grandfather militant type. Militant, yeah. yeah he was, he was up, a boy. Bed, a, a boy don't cry. A man is this, and like I had yeah. these ideas of what a man was supposed to be at five, six years old. That was confusing most of the time. So, so grandma and grandpa stayed in different places. Different places, yes. Okay. Say that they were already divorced, but kind of like you know having the, the grandkids kind of kept them together. They had to communicate. They, they had, had to communicate. They were forced to communicate. Yeah, so uh, raising us. So went to the system. My brothers, uh, so the four younger siblings stayed together. So now I went. I went from being the middle child to now the oldest. Like I was a big brother in, the, in my household, mm-hmm. and my oh, other I, three older siblings were split up gotcha. in another house. So I took on a. Uh, can you recall that? Like, do you recall any of that? I know you were young, but like even that transition, can you remember any of that? Or is it? I, rem- I remember because uh, my older brother Kenyon, like he was definitely leader of the pack. Like whatever he said was law in our house, right? Not having my father around and my mother battling with addiction, running the streets. Like whether he realized it or not though, like he had that influence over us. Mm-hmm. And so when children's service came in and split us up, like he was out the picture. And now I became another one in the household, and like uh, I took on a responsibility early, because now I felt like I had to fend and like you know make decisions for my little brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. and so I began to emulate what he did. And although it was, most of it was negative, like I saw this like this is the way it go. Like my brother did it, so now I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna be brother in this household, so I'm gonna do exactly what he did. All right, and uh, that's when I began searching. I began searching for like. For this identity, who I wanted to be or who I was supposed to be. And so a lot of the times, and for a long time, I was everybody else but me. Like I hated my life. And I began to take on like I took some from my brother's life watching him, my other big brothers. And so when I was nine years old, my brother was arrested for murder. When you were nine when I was nine years old. So not only was he not in the picture in my household, he was in the system. And that was a, that was like that was a devastating blow to our family, a little family I did have left. And so, uh, on one hand, I lost my brother to the system, and I felt like life was like you know, it's over. And on the other hand, like my brother getting life in prison, his friends coming around accepting me. Now I had ten big brothers. I had ten of him. And that's how I began at such an early age, like gravitating towards this game. In a criminal lifestyle, at such a young age, right. nine and ten years old, and my brother's friends coming around. He was eleven years older than me, mm-hmm. so I was nine. His friends were already twenty, and just being accepted by them, uh, like that was, uh, especially at a time like that. Like growing up in a household, my grandfather was kind of militant. Like he was mm-hmm. strict and firm on us, so he believed in tough love. And then his tough love felt like hate. Especially at that age, that's what you're going to yeah. interpret it Especially as. Especially at that age. So, and one, one thing I understand today, like, tough love is okay for someone who understands what love is. Mm. But for a kid who feels unloved and unwanted, unaccepted, tough love felt like hate. And so this, his, him trying to get through to me, it fell on deaf ears. And instead of him trying to, like, and me opening and embracing, I began to, re, you know, resist him. You know, every time he had to say something, I thought he was going against me. And uh, that came from a tough love. So that made it easy for me to gravitate towards the streets at such a young age because there it was accepting. Like, it was embracing. It was welcoming. And, like, I felt loved. 
Like, although uh, it didn't say it in those words, just being accepted and like, come on, acknowledged. Being acknowledged was was a lot for me growing up. So uh, you want that attention. Not having it, you know, uh, for so long and you felt like, man, I'm worthless, I'm nobody. Having that attention, man, and you don't care what kind of attention it is. Like, that's how I was able to, like, commit myself to this lifestyle for, at such a young age. When, when your uh, grandpa or your grandma seen you hanging around, or, like, now all of a sudden, I'm assuming they notice Big Bro's gone. You're starting to kind of hang around with the same crowd he was, maybe, or at the yeah. same spots. How did that ha- that Did they ever say, hey, you look like you're going down the same route as your brother? Did you ever get hit with that? Most definitely. So my grandfather, like, uh, he's seen it. Uh, he's seen it first. Yeah, he knew a mile away what was happening, it. huh? And, like, the more he pressed, the more I backed off. So uh, I feared him growing up. I feared him growing up, man. Like, his his words were so powerful, man. Like, it'll shake you. And then when I seen him fighting and trying to get through to me, I felt a sense of power. I'm like, oh, now, now I got your attention. Like it the took tables for, have turned now. The tables have turned now. Yeah. So me going to school and, you know, getting good grades, like you didn't really care for that. Like that wasn't good enough for you. A man, a man does this, a man does that. Like he 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 put this motto to this man of he put this motto to this man that I was trying so hard to be, it was impossible for me. Right? So I just gave up. Like, like he was he was talking about a man that I had no idea was. Like nobody showed me how to be a man. And so when I, when I made a decision that I wanted to be a gangster and like following my brother's footsteps, I had his attention. And although it was a negative, like I felt powerful. I'm like, oh, this is what it's gonna take for you to get your, my, get your attention. Well, you know, I'm gonna go harder now. At 12 years old, I started running away from home. I, used, I, I seen him stressing, I seen him trying so hard. Mm-hmm. I'd leave for days and come back. And he would yell and cuss and and instead of me being in fear now, now I felt I felt powerful. I'm like, yeah, I got you now. It's my turn. And I felt like like that's when the shade began to shift for me in my household. And that's where me and him became at odds. I didn't like, I believe that's when he lost me. And I realized he I think he knew he lost me. Mm-hmm. When like the things he was saying weren't getting through. And the 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 fear that he did have on me, it no longer worked. And why do you think that is? Were you thinking because you were getting older and you were getting a little more seasoned with the street stuff? It or? was uh, definitely what I was being exposed to, but also uh, not caring. Like when you stop caring, stop caring, like everything was out the window, right? Yeah. And that's one of the things I did. When I started smoking weed, at first it was to fit in, but like weed became my escape. Like getting high became my escape. And like I, I realized... Uh, like I stopped caring, not just about life and what my grandfather said in school. Like I stopped caring about myself. Like I dropped out in the seventh grade. No way. Yeah. It wasn't like ditching. It was like I was done with school in the seventh grade. And like when I stopped caring about life, like everything else was easy for me to get through. And like being high did that for me. Like that's how I found that escape. That's how I was able to, you know, everybody who was around me trying to tell me what to do or trying to help me, I had to stop caring. Like, I, I accepted the fact that I was dealt this, this fucked up hand. Like, watching my older brother going, going to prison at such a young age and constantly being told I'm just like him. 
whether it be my grandfather or his yeah. friends. Like, you just like your big brother. You're, you're going to be just like him. You know, uh, I idolized him. So I took that as this, like, okay, I'm getting somewhere. And the more I stopped caring, the more brazen my behavior became. The more I stopped caring about how I was affecting others, or even myself, or my siblings, or my family. Like, I was set on being this person because this person, this image, this person I had, I had built up for so long, yeah. it, was, it, was, it was, he had more value than me. So it was easy to stop caring about Dion. And I began to build this persona, this person I wanted to be. The person I had to be in order to get this attention and this love from people around me. And that's how it was easy for me to stop caring about what my grandfather said or what he did or mm. even those who were trying to help me because I had already made my mind made up that this is who I wanted to be because this person was worth more than me. Isn't it a cold realization, the moment where you realize like, no matter what my grandpa's telling me, at this point, it's just not going to affect me. Or, like you said, you have the one-up, but it's a cold realization when you get to that point where you're like, I feared them before, and just now, for some reason, none of that matters. Right? You kind of know you're about to get into to this whole different era of your life, you know? Most definitely. Did, did you feel like you wanted to be better than your brother? That was the goal. That was the goal, huh? That was the goal. You know, it's like... Hearing it so long growing up by his friends, his friends too. And these are like, these are 20-year-old guys hanging with 11-year-olds, right? Yes. And to hear them say, like, I mean, you just like your brother, I'm like, well, I got a chance to be better than him. You know, so mm -hmm. it's like, my brother started as, he started, you know, banging at 16, 17 years old. That was late. Uh, you know, he started kind of late. I can do way more than him. So let me start at 11 and 12. So then 12 years old. I knew I right there, I was ahead of him. Like, well, he didn't, my brother started at 16, 17. He wasn't, he wasn't running away like me. He was going home. He wasn't selling drugs at this age. Like, he didn't carry guns, like, at, the, at my age. So I already felt like I was, on a, I was gonna do better, I was gonna surpass him. To part of, like, and that was me, part of me looking for my own identity. Like, I was accepted being him. Like, you, you just like your brother. But it's like, well, damn, what about me? So now here it is. I'm fighting. That's I'm fighting. Important. I'm fighting. Yeah. I'm fighting against the same person I idolized. Cause nah, I, I want to be. I want to be me. Mm -hmm. So how do, how can how can they accept me from just me? Mm -hmm. Not because of my brother. Cause I, I came in. They accepted me because I was his little brother. And they was looking out for me because hey man, you Kenyan little brother. You SB little brother. We gonna look out for you. But I want them to accept me for me. And so that with that came me trying to be better than him. That makes sense. So you said you you also started doing like at that age you already had involvement in selling drugs, guns and stuff like that. Did you feel you put that role on yourself, or did you feel like that role was pushed onto you to be better? That was to that start was, participating in all that. Oh, that's what came with that's what came with the lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Like uh, when you sign up and you commit it, like those those are the rewards that come with it, the guns and the drugs. Like this is how you. This is how you not only get by, but this is how you like you know you get somewhere in life. The drugs, the drugs would get me about the hood. Like I'd never be broke. I, I would escape poverty. You know, I'd be the, I'd be the neighborhood baller. Like that's what the pill that drugs came in. The guns. That's where the respect part came in. Like you want, if you want respect in these streets, they gotta fear you. And me growing up, fat, light skinned jolly kid. Like things even didn't change when I began having a gun. Like I knew for sure. Like you didn't, 
If you didn't fear me, you're going to respect me for sure because you knew what I was willing to do with this gun. And so they just kind of like went hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely something I placed on myself. But also, man, I was striving to be the best in this game. Like I wanted to go far. I wanted to be somebody. And that's what came with it. And, and so having chopped it up previously, you, you carried that out to a T because you, you didn't even last that long. You went so hard that you, you only lasted a couple years before you caught a, a case that ended up getting you serving 23 years, right? Most definitely so. It's just as fast as I began, as fast as my downward spiral began as well. Right, when you're going that hard, those are the type of outcomes, right? But, that, that, most definitely. There, there's, no other, there's no other way out, right? So it's one of those, like, uh, 12 years old when I started, right? Uh, everything was fast-paced. So some people are like, man, he got off the porch. It's like, no, nah, I jumped off the porch into the, onto the, onto the fast lane. Like, fast. I was already, like, everything had to be now, right? And I began going to juvenile halls, right? I went to juvenile hall when I was four, right after my 14th birthday. And like that was like that was the ultimate test right there. That was going that was the make or break moment. Mm -hmm. Go to these juvenile halls, like see what you really about, see if you can really handle Definitely. that. Definitely, yeah. So uh, going through it, you know, it was scary, but I made it through it. And I'm like, oh wait, that's not that bad. So if I sell drugs, carry guns, jail is an option for me. Well, you know what, jail is, jail is not that bad. You go in there, you chill out, hang out, do the time you come back. Yeah. And so. When I went in, I didn't take it serious. Like, I wasn't trying to take it serious either. Like, I knew, like, once I began going to juvenile hall, I realized I could do it. Like, so when you when I signed up, my options was death or death or jail. It's the only way that that is the only way out of this game. And a part of me felt like, well, if I go to jail, I won. I, I beat the odds. Like, mm -hmm. I didn't I didn't die. So at 15 years old, I ended up uh, murdering a young man for the color of the shoes he wore. Like no questions, and I was sentenced to a hundred years to, with multiple life sentences in prison. And I went, to, uh, I ended up uh, found myself in prison at sixteen years old with multiple life sentences. So, wow. so, so if you can, that that is, uh, that's insane, man. That, that again, that's one of those stories where it's like it's unfortunate. You, you know, a lot of people again at that time you're not really psychoanalyzing these things, but you don't realize like. It's all a game at that age, right? Because nothing oh, seems real. Everything's fast. Your days seem like they last forever. You feel like you're gonna live forever, but you don't realize, like, holy shit, this is eventually gonna give me these football numbers, and you don't even know what those mean until you're 10, 15 years in, and you're like, this is what a life sentence is, you know? Wow. Um, take us. What was what was going on through your head at the time of? Uh, and maybe you can even touch a little bit about the lead up to that, like overview of what happened, kind of whatever. Um, if you want, if you can, and if not, just, you know, the whole transition of what it means to be 15 probably at the time in a so. court, having grandma and grandpa, all your brothers, what happened to the other brother? Is he about it? Is the same thing that happened to the oldest one about to happen wow. to you, you know? Most definitely. So, uh, you, uh, you, you hit on it right now too, uh, at 15 years old, right? When I got that, mm -hmm. when I got that sentence. Like it took it took seven years for me to understand like what life was like, so when I was sentenced to those, to those football numbers, you know, like my life was taken away, it was over. I was I was sentenced to die in prison. Like I didn't understand it, like I didn't even accept it, because here it was like, you gave me life in prison. I didn't know what life was, so it didn't hit me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I couldn't understand like 
when you say life in prison, like forever, like I'm gonna die. But I didn't know what life was, so right. it, it it took several years within my into my incarceration for it to hit me. And I was like 22 when I woke up and realized, like, damn, I might never go home. Like that's when it started to hit me. Seven years later, huh? seven years. Yeah. I was 22 years old when I woke up and and I don't know what happened. It was just one of those like, you got life in prison, like life. Like I had so many answers. I had so many questions. Like, like, like it's over. Like that's when it began to hit me. This really mean forever. You but know? It, it it started. Uh, so me getting to that point in that courtroom. I was shot. I was shot. I was shot a uh, a week prior. They came by. It was a gang war. They shot the park up. So me and my twin brother were shot, along with several other people. And my, an older friend was killed, was murdered. And uh, I knew that uh, one like laying on that ground, man, like crying, scared that I'd die. Like it, it challenged everything I had. Like up until that point, that I had committed myself to. Now I was like, when I was on that ground crying, I told myself like. Well, if it's over for you, like, man, like, you're nobody, you're nothing. So, like, I, I pumped myself, I told myself I had to do this. Mm. Like, there was no there was no going back. Mm. But not only that, though, like, this was a chance for me to, like, be my own person. Make a name for Make yourself. Make a name for myself. Like, yeah. this is my moment right here. Not in no positive way. We're talking no, not in a positive way. way. Like, this lifestyle I'm committed to, and if if you think I'm like my brother, I'm, gonna be, I'm, I'm about to show you I'm me. Mm. And I knew that, like, going back over there, retaliating... Was my moment. Gotcha. So two days after, after the hospital, I was already searching. I was looking for my moment. And, and your brother was hit too. How? how my did twin he, brother. Twins. My, at my that, twin brother man. was hit. How, how did that? Did, did, this is a sidebar question. Do you feel anything crazy at that moment with the twin? You know, they say there's some synergy going on. Yeah, it was definitely a uh, like me getting shot. It's something I like kind of expected, right? Like. Like I had an idea it can happen, but seeing my twin brother shot, man, like, yeah. like uh, me being an older twin, my brother followed me all our life. Mm -hmm. Three minutes older, three minutes older than me. Like I remember when I was nine years old, the first time I got high, like I passed it to my twin brother. When I began running away from home, like he ran with me, oh. and when we joined the gang, like it was me who did it first, and he followed. So seeing my twin brother right there bleeding, crying, like I felt like it was my fault. Like, damn, I gotta do something. Like my wound is whatever, but my like they got my twin brother, and a part of me felt responsible because, like I said, in my household I was the big brother. Like I was supposed to watch over him and watch after him, and here it was he got shot. So it was like even more reason for me to go do it. Right. Not right. only did you did you shoot me and and like you like you you challenging. This whole life that I've had built up this image, now here's you got my brother too, right? And if like if I don't do the, if I don't do it for myself, I gotta do it for him, and that's something I took on. And so uh, when you asked about like how was it like having that twin brother, like like that was the hard part, because like whether I want to do it or not, though my twin brother getting hurt made me feel like I had to do it, right? I, like I, I had to go revenge this, and that's how like. Uh, it came to the point where on uh, July 3rd, 2000, I made a decision in the car that day with every intention on killing someone. And like, I didn't care who 13, that someone 14 was. 13, years old? I was, say it again. 13, 14 years old? I was 15 years old. 15, already. I was 15 years old when I got in that car that day and uh, there was no going back. Not with your brother either. You were, it was just you on your own. 
And so uh, I had co-defendants. So it was, it was another 15-year-old with me, uh, one of my best friends grew up, who grew up with me across the street. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got in that car together and uh, with every intention on going. And going back wasn't an option. And like the idea of getting caught was something even I thought about. Not even a, a thought. It was yeah. like, who get caught? You know, if, if I do get caught, well, you just go to jail. Like, it ain't that bad. I've been to jail before. Yeah. And I understand, like, like, nah. Like, everything about this is wrong and different. Correct. Like, I understand, like, you know, in that moment, I was impulsive. Like, I was mad in that moment. I didn't think about no consequences. And that's how I was able to get in that car. And when I, when I sent him with some blue shoes, that's all it triggered. I didn't need to ask any questions. The grown of my life, you know, it was it was us against them. Like I didn't see a young man who who was a father and brother, excuse me, who was a uh, who was a brother who had to be standing with his father. Mm. Like I didn't ask any questions. Like since it was us against him, somehow his life was less meant less than mine. I didn't see I didn't see him as a human. Yeah, he was an opposition. He was right. a rival. He was the other side. And for that, like for those for those reasons, I was justified in doing what I'm about to do. Crazy what what that age makes you um, come to terms with and think that it's normal, it's the norm, it's it's something like like you said, like you're obligated. You feel these this weight on you at that age, and you think this is this is what it is. I ha-, you know most definitely. Um, man, okay, so 15 years old, and this is kind of like a typical thing, right? Like you mentioned earlier, they always say, "What what's the outcome? Gangbang." Right. Dead or in jail. People don't believe it. The youngsters don't want it. They want to fill it themselves. Yeah. And here you are. You finally, you probably heard it a bunch of times from grandpa and everything. And now you, they told you what the outcome was. And now you, now you're yourself are experiencing the outcome of, of what that lifestyle entails. Right. Most definitely. Um, what, what, where did that. Okay. So did you get busted right away? Yes. I was, uh, I was caught. Two minutes after the after the crime. Two minutes, really? man. That's the way cops too are bad. the cops are right there. The cops are right. They heard the shooting. As we drove past them, they followed us. So it was uh, I didn't. So they say like, how did you feel? Right. I was for gonna so ask long, that. Yeah. How did you feel like knowing you murdered someone? And like I couldn't even, I couldn't. I didn't process it because like here it is. Well, I went from murdering someone to being apprehended by the law, and now I'm being going to prison. And so it went from oh, it went from the assailant, oh, you know, the perpetrator, to now I'm a victim. Well, the system worked me. They got me. You know, they telling on me. Like I, I went into a straight blame game and denial. So I never even processed like the the, the life I destroyed or the family mm-hmm. I ruined. Like it didn't hit me. I didn't I didn't get a chance to sit back and think about what I done and how it affected anyone, because I went from that to immediately. Playing the victim, well, they shot me. You know, uh, well, this will come with the lifestyle. He shouldn't have been standing out there. I went into denial for so many years to write. Even, I couldn't even even say his name because it wasn't about him. Like they wrong, I was wrong, and that's how I spent like you know the, the first seven, eight years of my incarceration, blaming everyone for my problem but me. It's crazy you said that because that's something yeah. another person said on here too. Like you're just. You just consistently keep blaming everybody else, and not really think about yourself. You when you realize like what what you just did, a life was hurt. If not, is now it's gone, a soul, right? Yeah. So it's just crazy to, and that's like part of the maturing process. That's where we become 100%. a mature person. Yeah. Once you realize that, 
I feel that is like, all right, now you're mature. Now you're you're getting there. But before all that, you're still learning. I mean, and you were young. You were very young. So to be able to identify that, like right off the bat, that'd be very hard. It's not easy for most, you know? Right, most because definitely. that's why you're in the situation you are mm-hmm. then. The thought process isn't there at that age. That's just what it definitely. is. It's a chemical thing, a chemical imbalance 100%. or whatever, you know? That doesn't happen. So like you said, I tell people, you're not going to, I tell even my kids, you're not going to believe it now, but watch when you hit 20, 20, there is going to be a night and day switch. Something's and it's tell just you something to, switches on you and you act there. Now you're an adult, you know, and you start thinking different. Like this yeah. is an internal switch. You don't, you don't really, lucky you've had time to, to identify things and certain factors and work on it. But most people out here, you know, they probably don't see these, get these lights turned on until 30, 35, you know? When so, it's- when it's when it's a you know a lifetime has went by, man, that and, part, and that's definitely uh something I uh I experienced, man, like uh the maturity part. Mm-hmm. Alright, so now here it is, you go into the system, right? I went to the prison at 16 years old. I skipped the whole YA thing. I was un- I was tried as an adult and unfit. That's so, so fast. Like, straight to prison at 16 fast. years old, yeah. right? And so so during the court thing, you never had action? There was never a thought of going home or anything like that? You just kind of knew where it was going? My first court date, I told my lawyer, and uh, his name was James P. Cooper, and he said, uh, do you know what you just did? Oh, man. And I was like, like, what you mean? He said, do you understand like why you're here? And I said, uh, see if they give me 25 years. He said, like, like son, it don't, it don't work like that. And I remember uh, one of my older homies telling me, like, man, go in there, you know, ask for 25 years, man, like, they're going to give it to you. And just go do your time. And he, he said it. This is what I looked up to. So when he said it, I believed him. Okay, take these 25 years, just start my time. Herb, get your time going, man. Homie's waiting for you. Like, you're going to be good. You're going to be young when you get out. You're going to be young oh, when you man. get out, man. You're going to go in there. Homie's, homie's already deep in there. They're going to take care of you. You ain't got nothing to worry about. And so I remember my first, my first arraignment. I asked the lawyer, I said, man, I need 25 years. And he looked, he stepped back and looked at me like, I don't think you understand what you just did. And uh, I was puzzled because here it was, I was asking for 25. I said, give me 25. I'll take the 25 years right now. He said, you about to get life in prison. Like, like you, like you, this is not what you having a choice or an option. Like there's laws to follow by and right. like you murder someone. At that point, when he said life, did you even what what what, what happened? Did, did your thought even process that? Did your brain even process that? At the I moment? couldn't. I couldn't begin to think what life was. Right, you're like like, like hey, life, you know what life that was in numbers. Like, like I, I heard him. Like, I heard him saying it, but I'm like life. Like I don't. It wasn't clicking. Like you telling me life, but like what life? That like, life that ten sound years. Right. Do you like, mean ten years? Yeah, it don't sound right. And register with me. I'm like life. When you say life in prison, are you talking about? So I'm 25 years old, life? It's crazy you say that because even when I first heard the word life is mm-hmm. not someone that's really in the, that, when I first started working into this, into this, um, like with this demographic, yeah. when I first heard life, I thought, no, yeah, life, like, that's not, there's no yeah, way no that one's serving life. someone's life. life. Yeah. Like, come on now. But now, knowing that shit's actually real, it's fucking crazy. Like, there are people that are actually going for life. So I can't imagine how you were feeling at that oh, time. Oh, you, you confused? You know I mean, you already, I'm feeling lost, confused. Like, that whole justice system was a blur, mm. right? So, as a 15-year-old going through it, like, I was just going through the most. I couldn't tell you anything, mm. right? So, it, was, it really was a blur. So, we talking about life and enhancements and sentences, right? And he said multiple, multiple life sentences. 
I didn't wrap my mind around that. Did, did you get a gang enhancement? Got gang enhancements as well. So that at the time too was was that the gang enhancements alone. Dudes were getting caught for a gun and getting ten years plus just off a of gang enhancement alone. For that too, right? So it's like you know, you give me like a you get a life for this, you get life for that. That's like you don't believe it's real because like how do you give me three life sentences? Right. Like that's I, I impossible. Even, it's impossible. Like this, y'all, y'all, this shit got to be made up. Like something's wrong with this. Mm, like it don't yeah. make no sense. Right, like you can't give me three life sentences. I only, I'm only gonna live one life. Right, and so the confusion only intensifies. Like, so the whole legal process was was something I like. I had no, no, no involvement in. Oh, really? Okay. I just, I just showed up. Like, yeah. I couldn't process what was being said or going on around me. So during prelim, all that you you still weren't able to kind of get what was happening. You you basically ended up somewhere to a point where they're like, "This is the day, either trial or take a deal." So it got to the point where there were no deals on the table. There were no deals. Damn. Deals wasn't even an option. So it just got to a point, like you said right now, you go, go, go until the date came when it's like, you're being sentenced. And it's like, sentenced. Like, yeah, you're being sentenced next week. And I'm like, well, it's over already? Right. And it's just like, that's where, that's where, that's where, that's where, the, that's where the end part came. And the, and the next journey began, like, it's over next week. Yeah, you're getting sentenced next week and you'll be going to prison. Well, damn. Were there any other sellies you were talking to about it? Like, oh, and they weren't tripping about like, damn, you're moving fast. Or like, oh, this is going, like, did anybody say anything? Around no, you? so uh, go, being a juvenile in the system, just surrounded with nothing but juveniles. I was going to say that. That's a yeah, cold so, part. You're not even with adults that may right. have legal beagles. Yeah, or you're, you're separated. Yeah, you're separated. There's no legal beagles, right? So mm-hmm. you have, you're oblivious to the legal process and what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, going in, so it's 15 and 17-year-olds together. Right, even though we're in the adult institutions, whether it be in the county jail and prison, mm-hmm. it's just us. So most of the interaction we have, whether on on a, on a bus or you know on a yard or in buildings, walking past. So you, but you don't have, you never have a chance to kind of like sit down and discuss what's going on, because the flip side of that is like, don't talk about what you're in jail for. Oh man, yeah. you know, don't talk, don't talk about your case. So now you're even more distant. So if you was gonna look for help, that wasn't an option. Like talk, like. Prison, that's one. Don't talk about your case. People be telling it here, like, don't tell me what you're here for, what you did. You just go through it. Mm-hmm. So now, asking the question isn't an option. So now I have to take, I have to take all this on by myself. And being sentenced to prison was like, okay, this is the this is the end, but the beginning of this next lifestyle that I have to go through. Mm-hmm. Like, cause prison was something I had to go through. Like I still had like even though coming to prison for uh, being arrested for murder, like I still had this 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 ideal of this person I wanted to be. Like none of that changed. The 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 low self esteem, the feeling unworthy, you know, uh, not feeling valued. That person never went anywhere. Oh man. So now going to the system, to to the uh, being sentenced to prison. Now here it is. Okay, now I have to be somebody. Now, uh, like how do how do I be how do I fit in with this group now? I'm 16 years old. Will they accept me? Well, you know what? You gotta talk like this. You gotta act like this. You gotta think like this. Like everything was something out that wasn't me. But I understood it was survival now. Now this was me being in a situation where I had to be somebody else. Right. So the idea of thinking or, you know, trying to understand what was going on was out the door. Like I was 16 year old headed to prison. I want to understand like how how could I make it? That's what's tripping out right now. Like you're getting out, you're hopping off that bus. You're 16. Do you look 16? 
I look every bit of 16. Really? And what's everybody thinking around you? Like, you're you're with others now already. You're with older crowd. You're with grown men. Nothing that you're not used to, because let's be real, you're already with grown men hanging out. Yeah. But even them seeing someone as young as you in there, was that, was there any difference? Like, would you feel like there was different treatment or anything like that? It was, uh, I remember, uh, and like these, like these kind of feelings played out over my life throughout the years, right? I remember like my brother getting life in prison, like feeling alone and scared of being by myself. I remember uh, his friends coming and embracing me. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, like I felt welcome, man. Like I felt love. And like, that's the same thing going to prison. Here I was like lost and scared, unsure who I was. And then you get to a prison yard and the homies come save you. You know, like uh, you hit a prison yard and like, you know, whatever gang you li- uh, align yourself with, they're there to embrace you, to make you feel like one of them. Yeah. And so those fears and doubts and unlove, now that I'm in prison, it went away the second they embraced me. I'm like, well, damn, I am one of them now. Just how I felt when I was 12 years old and my brother's friends embraced me. When he went to jail, now here I was in prison. Same thing. Same thing, same feelings. But they, they felt those same voids and insecurities that I had. And like that's how it's easy for me to fall in line. And not only that, though, now here it is, like, well, I know your brother. Or I, I know you come from, I know some of your homies. And like, like well, damn, I, now I feel out of place. Now I feel like I belong. The life sentence, oh, that's whatever. These guys accept me. I'm one of them. And like, that's what made my transition into prison, like, easy for me. Because here it was, like, I felt like I belonged here. You know, uh, like I say, dead or in jail was the option I, I knew when I signed up. And a part of me felt like I won. Like, I defied the odds. I, I didn't die, so I beat the system. You know, I ended up in jail. I'm still living. Like, I'm still a homie. They still embracing me. Yeah, I still yeah. feel loved. People are still here for me. And so being, like, the youngest guy on a prison yard, you know, you get attention. Everybody around you, you know, whether they're protecting you or trying to mislead you, but they're there. And it's crazy that there's a there's no line. The lines are blurred there. If they're trying to protect you, if they're trying to influence you or or get you under their wing to do things, and yeah. right, you don't really you can't decipher that when you're fresh and you're and you're new and Most you're barely picking up game and you're trying to figure things out yourself. You know. Most definitely, and that's just what it is too. Yeah. So you know, part of you felt like, is he trying to help me? Mm-hmm. Or this might hurt me. Like that's, that, that, that thought always there, but it's like, but having his attention mean everything. Like yeah. being accepted mean everything. And so you begin to kind of like push that to the side. Well, why, why would I have to have, have a knife? Like something about to happen? Mm-hmm. Well, you need to keep a knife on your whole this. Is that helping me or hurting me? And so you kind of just kind of like push those things to the side. The things that make sense are, you know, it make, make you uh, question things. You learn fast in prison, like those are the things you kind of like. You got a dead. If uh, you're right, man, you got, you, like you got you like any kind of conscious in prison, or in, in its lifestyle, you have to dead that fast. Like so, one like feeling any kind of way about someone, something you can't feel. Like if the if, if the homie out of pocket, you got to get him. And so any kind of feelings of you know sadness or sorrow for him or just oh man, Karen, you got to dead that. Like, like, that can jeopardize, like, your livelihood, also the person you're trying to be. But also, it's not a part of survival. Yeah. So a lot of those feelings I did have growing in, like, you question it. 
And that was me, man. Growing up, I always questioned things. Mm. But also, too, uh, I silenced myself. Because I know, like, uh, me asking these questions, they might not accept me. They may not welcome me. They may look at me different. And so you just find yourself being silent and kind of like going along with the masses. Whatever the majority say, I'm with it. Like you stop thinking for yourself in that system. So Damn, super nice. important. I'm glad you touched on that because that is a reality for like yeah. 99% of, of folks in there. It isn't until like you, you do 10, 12 years or you're at the end where you start snapping and you're like, you know what? I can just do my time. But the thickness of that brainwashing and the and the characteristics of that place and the kind of mode of expression that you have to follow is real thick. So you feel like you really have to, you know, especially being young, you're like, young. I can't no, let no one question um, my, like you said, if, I, if I'm if i a little caring, I can't have them question, like, why is this dude showing uh, any type of love, you know? Why, why is he, and you start thinking these things and it, it creates kind of like this culture, you know, that's part of oh, the prison culture. Most definitely, man. That's where the, uh, this toxic masculinity comes from. There you go. Yeah. It's like, you know, like, in order to be accepted, like, you gotta, like show no feelings. Like you gotta dare those things. Mm -hmm. And then, it, but it's like, it's accepted, you know, and it, it, within this prison culture. And that's where you find yourself, uh, mm -hmm. you're like, you forget, you forget who exactly, you, you forget any sign of humanity. Yeah. You know, you become, you become just another person walking. And like, after years of conditioning, it's easy for you to walk around with a scowl in your face. You mad all the time. You know, your first no response is action. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, it's anger. You know, I'm mad, fight, hurt, violence. Like, those things become more of a possibility when you begin to, like, just detach and disassociate from a human being. And in prison, like, that's what it is. Like, the second you stop feeling and caring, you find yourself being accepted by the majority because now you're part of a, a bigger culture and a uh, uh, society. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you want to thrive in a society, then you do what a society do. And that shows not caring. Mad anger, flashing, like all these these emotions, right? Toxic masculinity, right? And that's what I found myself doing. It was easier for it was easy for me to mm -hmm. stop to stop caring and just get in line. But I realized, like when I was in that lifestyle, like like thinking wasn't an option. Like you gotta let all that go. Any sense yeah. of self is out the window. Like they have this mold of who you're supposed to be going to the system. You part of a gang, you uh, you're supposed to act out in violence. You know any kind of dis any kind of disagreement. This is how you do. Everything has a has a uh, a way to handle it. Somebody somebody look at you wrong, you press them. Mm -hmm. Somebody call you out your name, yeah. you hurt them. So that's the person you become. That person of willing to talk it out or care or if I get some understanding, that person is dead. Like that that play, that person has no place in this in this culture. And that's what you see growing into coming to the system at such a young age. Like, I was I was learning to become this person because like this is my only example of what a man was supposed to be, what I thought was a man was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I just adapted. So coming to prison at 16 years old, I found myself looking to adapt. Okay, well, in order to make it in here, I have to be like this. Mm -hmm. For so long, that's the person I wanted to be. So I found myself right now. I, I, I never told anyone back then, right, or even inside. Like I would watch everyone. Like I was like being so young. Only thing you have on your side is you know what I'm saying like, uh, don't talk, listen more. So, but me, I watched more. I paid attention to. I like I was very observant, and like 
I will take something from everyone around me and try to make this person who I want to be. All right, so we started off mentioning like, you know, you don't know if they're trying to hurt you or help you, but that's something you can't even think about. So, ah, man, he kind of hard, but mm -hmm. I see how it works for him, so let me try to take a little bit of that. So it's, it's something you, you, you're willing to compromise. Every, every, everything's willing to, you're willing to compromise everything in there in order to make it or be accepted. And that's what I found myself doing for so many years. And, and I love the fact that we touched on it before, that, that then you realize, you know, sometime along that journey, like what a man is and like, you know what? If I don't want to play handball, I, can play, I, I, I love to play chess. Right. And when you stand on that, that's when you realize, oh, okay, this is what it means to you know, where you're not influenced no more. You don't have to adhere to this image no more. That's when you start like, okay, it takes more balls to stand on you and what you want to be and who you really are than it is to follow the, the herd, you know? Oh, yeah. Right? That's a lot harder to do. You know, like that's something that, that doesn't come with age, though. That's one thing I learned. Like, really? it's, not, okay. it's not about age. Okay. You know, I say like, man, you mm, once you get 30 years old, man, you kind of grow out of it. And I'm like, okay. Why are there fifty year olds still involved? Right. Mm. I was like, well, why? Are, why are there dudes twice my age who can't let it go? Because if it was that way, everybody would be going crazy now until thirty. Yeah, you like, like, okay. like if like just think about this true, lifestyle. It's true. There's no, there's no expiration on it. Mm. That so it's like once you sign up, for some reason, it's just like this is life. So this decision I made when I was twelve years old, and now I'm thirty years old. You telling me I'm still like I don't even think the same. But I'm committed. And for those reasons, I'm still moving, acting like that 12-year-old. Oh, so that's why you see huh? dudes, you know, 56 years old, not only inside, but also in prison, stuck, trapped, because you can't let it go. So that realization doesn't come with age. It comes with most of the time experience. Or, or a traumatic experience at that And unfortunately, you know? unfortunately yeah. it's like it's oftentimes it's traumatic. Something has to happen for you to get it. Yeah. Before you just wake up one day and just like, like what am I doing with my life? And uh, I like uh, I, I'm a creative writer, right? And that's one of the things I do with uh, narrative, narrative therapy. Okay, mm. and it's something I was able to like kind of tell my story with, right? And so I kind of take my lived experiences and share them just in a creative form. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things uh, I, re I recently I recently wrote, but it kind of like this. Is, this dude said something that solidified, like made, made me really understand like what I was doing was right. Uh, I met a dude who was 62. He told me to still sue Wu. And I was ashamed, sad, and scared because he said, if I don't change, then I'm just a reflection of you. And here it was, a six-year-old man who accepted that fact like, like I'm fucked up. At 60 years At old. At 60 years old. He said, man, this is my life. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. But if you, like, you don't got to do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, like, damn. Like, here it was. You know, he accepted his fate. He accepted, like, this was him. But the knowledge in that came from, like, look, man, if you if you, if you you think you're going to keep going, you're going to be just like me. You're looking at a mirror, bro. You're looking at a mirror. Yeah. yeah. And that's what it hit me. I said, damn. And I thought about, like, like I still care that what he said to me to this day. Mm -hmm. I like you know what that man was sixty two like I don't, I don't I don't have to I don't have to get I don't have to go that far that long I before I get it and uh, it sat with me man and and it really it really made everything I was doing more like you know, meaningful yeah you like you say man you get the balls of some of your own too 
you're like, you know what? If I don't, I'm end up just like that. Yeah. So it becomes a point where you're like, look, it's it like it's scary to stand on your own too, and yeah. you've never done it. That's a, important, man. I, I never thought about it from that angle. That's the problem, right? When you've never done it, yeah, it, it's that much harder. I think that's 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 super deep, man. I never thought about it that way. That's why it's so hard because we've never done it. We're not accustomed to it, you know. It's not a you know our our understanding of what a man is. Like that's not what come with it. Like you know, a man's on his own too. His own too. I got the homies with me. What you right. mean? I got my brothers with me. What you mean own too? Mm-hmm. Like a man think for himself. Nah, like these are rules. Mm-hmm. It's crazy you say it that like, way because I was just thinking the other day too. Like when people come and tell me, like why are people like that? Like because I I'll be honest. Like I'm I'm also surrounded some by some haters in the work I do, and then those are the people I don't talk to. Yeah, my course, think about course. it. You grew up in a spot when this is. You grew up somewhere where this is the only thing they know. This is the only thing that the the community knows, how to survive and how to hustle and all that. Nothing else. They can't even watch TV to see something that that gives them a different idea because they never been there. They never. They can't leave the zip code because they don't have a car. Moms yeah. and dads are at home. They don't work. They don't have a car. They can't leave the zip code. They're too young. The boys don't. The boys don't have cars. All they know is that life. If they had the opportunity to learn something else. Yes, they would know there's a different kind of livelihood. Most definitely. I'm like, so imagine that. That's all you fucking know. You're going to obviously follow those footsteps of everybody else around you. Yeah. They and, don't, and, and they and don't and know it's good. They don't know it's bad. They think it's good. They think it's, it may, they may think like this is a normal yeah. lifestyle. Like this is normal. I'm sure everybody else does this. Yeah, you're but, 100% right. You get the outliers and people like to use them as an example. Yeah. But what good is the outlier if it's one in 20? You know, yeah. so that means we got to work on the 19 first before we give the exception to the one that got out. More power to them. Everyone's different. Mm-hmm. Everyone grows up different. Most definitely. But, you know, not everyone has the same brain power to say, no, I'm going to go this route. You know? Yeah, and that's the hard part, man. And you realize uh, standing your own two man, is terrifying, man. Like, like, especially when you have no idea what it is, it's terrifying. Like, uh, not thinking for yourself. You know, or being told how to feel and how to respond and react. Right. So anything you feel or think later on down the line, it's just like you feel like you're going against everything. Yeah. You feel like an outcast. Ah, yeah. oh, man, yeah. I'm going to go talk to him instead of trying to fight him. And it's like you find yourself, oh, I got to follow my pride. You're like, it's hard to do it because, like, you don't understand only what a, not only what a man is, but stand on your own, too. Like, it's something impossible, right? And so, like, come to a point in my life where I realized, like, as scared as as scared as it may is or feel for me, like I know I have to do it. If not, like you said, I'm just follow the herd. And it's like it's something. It's 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 a hell of a feeling to watch to sit back and watch. Like, damn man, we about to we about to we about to walk off the cliff. But people keep walking. Keep walking. That's and cold. it's like the system is designed to break you. It's gonna make you or break you. And for you, if you go into the system, man, your your ideal is nothing different from when you came in. You just gonna keep on that. You gonna stay along with the herd, and that's scary because dudes are dying in there. You be like, you coming in at eighteen years old, leaving at sixty in a casket, though. And so you start thinking like, damn, this herd isn't really like something's wrong with this. And then that's when like, you you start having those little doubts, like, nah, man, like, but if if I jump out the line. Like, then where I'm going to go? Then what I'm going to do? And, you know, it's like, you you can look, you can look, you know, a mound in front of you and behind you. And you might only see one trickle out the line. 
And it's like, well, damn, now I'm by myself. All over again. Those feelings, now those feelings come back up. Those same feelings that made me turn to the gang and the lifestyle, feeling alone and abandoned, low self-esteem. The second you step out of the line of the herd in the system, they pop back up. But now here you are, here you are you're, you're 20, 30, 40 years old. And you're not sure who you are, or where you're going, what you're supposed to do. But it's like, shot. Mm-hmm. so now you by yourself. But you understand, like, if I stay in line right there, like, I'm going to walk off the cliff. And, like, uh, I was fortunate enough, like, seeing my twin brother go home. Like, seeing my twin brother who, uh, who followed me all his life, our life. And, uh, like, I felt he was in prison because of me. Like, I could have so, changed So it. maybe uh, let, let's jump into that a little bit, yeah. right? You, you did have a brother that you mentioned that got life when you were nine years when old. I was nine years old. Um, and then your twin also, also... Ended up going to prison. And you mentioned also this was off camera. All you, pretty much all your brothers, all the boys, kind of yes, pretty much, mother, right? My mother has a uh, six uh, six boys, one girl. Five of the boys were all in the system at one time together. So so okay. So talk to us about that. How was that? Um, be, not being with them, and then the moment where you realize, holy shit, I'm going to this prison, and they're all there, or how they, you know, that timeline of how we all ended up five deep on a yard. That's all family, all same last name. How 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 crazy is that? That was a. That was a, I mean that was a shock, especially going through the system, right? So, I remember uh, my oldest brother at another prison. I had the opportunity to be transferred over there, and I remember like, like oh, waiting for that day. Like I was so excited, man, to be with my brother. Like, like I hadn't seen him since I was nine years old. And oh, so, so this was a life where you were trying to get a life for, okay. my life for big brother. Yeah, my brother who was in for life. Did, so did you talk to the counselor and you were kind of pitching it to them? How did that happen? Because sometimes so, it's hard to get Yeah, so it was one of those, like, you know, openings came up. Hey, this prison is open. Like, you're for transfer. So pick two prisons. And I'm like, hey, man, I was scared to say my brother was there because I, I didn't want to not go there, right? Mm. So come this is my first pick and you get a second pick. And so I picked Calipatria and Sentinella. And uh, Norman Brothers at Calipatria, like, like I was joyful. I was like, man, look, if I get there, man, this is going. I've been waiting for this day. I remember, uh, you know, getting that ticket in the uh, through institution mail. Like, I mean, you're gonna transfer to Calipatria next week. Damn. And I was just like, like I was happy. Like, I was genuinely happy. Like here it is. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go see my brother again. Yeah. Not 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 even like taking into account that you're you're like happy. You're going to probably a level four. You're still young. You're like, that wasn't, you're just like, my brother's there. That's no, all that matters. None of that matter. You know, it's like, it was just the fact, like, I was happy knowing I was going to be with him. Damn. Like, I'm going to be with him again. Like, everything that's going around me, that's what comes with the game. I can deal with this. But knowing my brother was there, I was happy. And I remember, like, this was, uh, this was like one of the, like a, a moment for me. I remember, like, we talk about this, too. I remember, like, getting to the prison. And then, as happy as I was to be with him, as sad as he was, he was just as sad. Oh man! And I remember, like, I remember, like, running to him, brother. What's like excited? Hey, what's up? Like, how you doing? Like, I'm gonna love you. And I remember him, like, like, damn, like, what the fuck you doing here? That's what he that's told you, fucking, huh? That's, yeah. yeah, like it was like the the look on his face said it all. Damn. Like I approached him, open door, and smiling, laughing, happy. And I remember him standing there looking at me, like, damn. Like, and I realized then, like, he realized, like, damn, I fucked up. Like, here it is, my little brothers. You know, like, he's 11 years older than me. 
So he really took care of me, took care of us. And the feeling on his face was like, and I was I was puzzled. I said, damn, why are you why are you looking at me like that? Like why are you like why are you not happy? Right. Why right. he not you, smiling? Like, why he not why he why he not excited like me? And I realized like my brother and like, he told me later on, like, like he realized that's when he fucked up. He realized, like, damn, man, like, like I fucked up. Like my brother, like my little brother is in prison with me, with life. Just like me. Just like me. Yeah. And not only that, like he's he, like going through that, he began to realize, like, damn. Like he never, he never asked to be a father. He never, he never took, he never wanted to take on this responsibility of being a big brother or trying to guide us. You know, he was too busy involved and committed to this lifestyle. But I remember uh, him telling me, like, he realized, like, he didn't understand the influence he had. And if he would have known, like, like this is how it's gonna turn out, yep. he would did a whole lot better. But it was too late at that point, you know, with all the with all his little brothers in prison. But it was a it was it was a sad moment, man. Like, like being around him, and he didn't share that same joy as me. And like it was a total opposite for him. He fell in a state of depression. You know, he was uh trying to you know. Wrap his mind around the fact, like how do I, how do I help him? And so as yeah, a big, yeah, yeah. as a big brother, his thing was, you know what, man, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm gonna protect him. Like I'm gonna watch over him. I'm gonna keep him out of shit. And if, if he, if it wasn't for my big brother being around me and uh, me and my twin brother, we would have crashed a long time ago. Mm-hmm. But the second we got a chance to do something out of, hey, like he was, he was there like a, like, like a big brother. Like no, like that's not happening. Hey man, like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like he was there to question us and having that, like, being an older brother, having that influence over us. It's like we respected it still. Like, so, so real quick, how long did you last with uh, just the older brother, and then your twin comes in? So I was with my oldest brother for a year, and then my twin brother came. So, so now, now it's three of you guys. So now it's my oldest brother and me and my twin brother. A year later, so now he watching over not only me, he watching Ooh. over both of us oh, now. Oh man. Two, we were 20 years old, fresh into the system, still looking for a way, mm-hmm. still committed to this lifestyle. He was 30, he was 31. So how much time did he already have in by the time you guys uh, he had, crossed uh, paths? By the time we crossed paths, he had, wow, he had 10 years in the system. Damn, 10 he years in the system. Uh, 10 years in, he was in the system 10 years by the time I saw him. He was probably realizing at that point, like, fuck, am I going, is, this is life, same right. situation too. Like, does this mean life? Like, yeah, so he and went then he in. sees you guys. He went in, you know, it was just him. And for years, he kind of like got by. Mm. But now, here it is, he having little brothers coming to the system. So his level of understanding is different now because a traumatic event, like you said, it usually takes a traumatic event for us to understand it. Yeah. And that traumatic event for him was me getting life in prison. And my other brother is coming to prison. Like that's what it took for him to understand. Like, damn, what did I do? I set it off. Like, like how did, like how did, how did, how did they get there? Like, you know, he had all these questions for us that we didn't have the answers for. So he began to understand. Like, damn, like, like we 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 joined the same gang. I took on the same moniker, and it was like. So is it like a family of of tiny and baby and all same name? So it's not it's, it's not that kind because we all like you know outside of my oldest brother the other okay. of us are like in a cluster, right? But it's like the same street, the same crew. 
Got you, man. The same, the same identity, the same way we carry ourselves. Like everything is the same through the brothers. Like we all carry ourselves like this. We do this, we do that. We move as a unit still to the day. But it's like it was more of that we took on. Like them brothers just like this. They stick together like this. Like to get through them, it's like this. You mess with one, you mess with all of them. Like we still had that same kind of mentality to the day. But like that traumatic event happened for him. And that was him seeing his little brothers in prison with him. And like, and that's when it uh that's when it began to to sink in with him. For me, it was watching my twin brother go home. That, that, was, that was my traumatic event because like, I, f- I felt in a state of depression. When he left? When he left. So, so how long were you guys together in the cell? We were in the cell together for a total of eight years. Eight, eight years. years? Eight years. So, so this whole time you were gelling for a few years then you land on the yard with your brother. You don't settle up with him, the older I, one? I settled, I settled with him, too. Okay. So, so then we were cellies first. Okay. And then my twin brother came, so it's only right that the twins going to sell together. Okay. That's how that happened. And so as a big brother, he kind of like, look, you and twin need to be together. So y'all be together, and I'll move down here, down to tier. Okay. And so that's how he kept us together. So, so he's was, still looking out at the end of the day, too. He was, he, he was mm-hmm. still a big brother, mm-hmm. just on that side, right? So looking back on it, he was looking out for us, mm-hmm. and he saved us from a lot. So... Me and him, so me and my older brother were cellies for a year or two, off and on. And then me and my twin brother were together for a, a, a total, almost a total of eight years. Same yard, that same same, same everything. Yard. If same. one move, we all move. And that's Damn. what we dealt with a lot. We went from, we bounced, we bounced on every yard, but together. Did y'all have a nickname? Y'all had to have a nickname. Y'all were the twins. The twins, I guess? Yeah, I mean, we definitely, you know, definitely, you know, it's like, uh, it was uh, SB and his little brothers. Okay, uh, you know, so SB, SB was... Big brother and then, and then the, the little, little brothers. brother. You know they're around. The they, little like, brothers are... If you see one, you see the other ones. Mm. And that's how you that's how you that's how we move. So it wasn't like, you know, those brothers who just on the yard. It's like we in the building together, we in the dairy room together, we on the yard together. Like we we move together. So playing sports, cards, pinochle, What's together? Spade, all the you guys three deep all the time. Yeah, so it's like if, if I'm in the dominoes and they're not, they're gonna stand there and post up and watch. Like it wasn't like we were we were in you know like seeing distance like you know or it should be uh, screaming distance like hey something's going on like we were close enough to each other where we were always right there together like we weren't we didn't we didn't really travel too far alone or by ourselves in the system for years for that, years that close huh for years and like one of the things my brother told me is like uh, you know we we can't control the environment so our thing our, our thinking was like we're gonna stay together so if, if something happens we're gonna leave together. And that was our, that was, that's what we did to kind of like make sure we was together. Like, so if something happened, we make sure we're together, bro, because if it goes bad, we're going to do it, we're going to do it together. Mm-hmm. So that was our way. That's how we, this is how we're going to travel through the system without being broke up. And uh, it worked. It, it, it worked for years. And then until transfers and parole became into play. So okay. my brother, my, my oldest brother was transferred. And that was just as a... Standard, it's pretty standard. A lifer bounces around, or his points drop. Most or... definitely. So that's something that, that's something we couldn't control. We couldn't control. We could, we, we could have controlled, you know, committee coming up, his annual, him having, you know, nineteen points being transferred to a, another prison. Like there was no way of getting up out of that. My twin brother, you know, parole date coming. Like those things we couldn't change. And that's when like reality began to set in. Like damn, okay. Like my brother gone. It was hard on us. And then seeing my twin brother walk out the cell, like was was one of the darkest days of my life, because like you say, for so many years we were together, and I found peace and comfort in that, and having mm-hmm. somebody with me, 
And now here it is, like, he just gone. And he's not coming back. One day to the next. One day to the next. He's gone. And I was lost. I, I was lost. I didn't know what to do, you know, for so long. That was, that was my identity. That's been his little brothers. Like, that was an identity. Correct. And so now, like, it's just, it's, it's me. Like, I didn't know who the hell I was or where I was going to go or what I was going to do. And, like, that part right there was definitely one of the darkest times of my life because, like, here I was, like, going back to, to the herd and getting back in line, it wasn't an option. Like, like I couldn't see myself going back. So, so the whole time you guys were together, did you start focusing on yourself and you came, you started the self-help and all that and then reaching out to programs at that point or was it after he it left? Was, it was after he left. Okay. Like, when it started, it started for me when he, after he left. But it, like I had enough, like you know, understanding to know, like my brother watching over us and looking after us. Like, look, man, stay away from him for these okay. reasons. Watch out for this. Don't let anybody tell you this. Like he was schooling us the whole time, and so when we began to split up and leave, I realized now, like those were like valuable lessons he was teaching me. You know, to survive in prison. You know, so the self help didn't come till after they left. But once they left, I was able to start seeing around me. Okay, like I need to avoid that. You know, stay away from drugs like mm. that. Don't get caught up with this crew right here. I had these things, these lessons that he was teaching me all those years. I began to apply them now. Now that he was gone, okay, like in order for me to survive, don't go down that road. Try this, do that. And so that's where I found myself uh, signing up for a college class. I remember telling my brothers, like, man, yeah. like, y'all sitting in a cell all day doing nothing, hanging out. Like, go get a GED. Like, bro, go, go read. And it's like, oh, man, you tripping. Here you go again. <laughs> like, damn, man, come on, man. Go to services, man. Like, do something. And, uh, like, what, something he said kind of hit me. It's like, bro, what you going to do, sit in a cell all day? And do nothing? You going to hang out? Then what? And I was like, wow, what, what, then what? And that's why I found myself, uh, I enrolled myself into the first, uh, first college course. And I was like, let me... Let me like I'm a, I'm a seventh grade dropout. Now here it is like I didn't drop out because I had a learning disability. Like I dropped out because it wasn't for me. Like you know the drugs yeah, and the gang yeah. will provide more. Like the school I can't do nothing without that. So being a seventh grade dropout, and now here it is like I got my diploma in in prison, and I like let me see let me see if I'm let me see if I can still do it. You're capable. Let me yeah. see if I'm capable of doing it. It was, it was a test. Well I can't just sit in the cell and hang out. Let me get a book. And that's where it began for me, man. Like my, my on the course of my uh, transformation, and also like re rehabilitation. That first college course, like that did it. I'm like, well, damn, I did good. And like you know, the confidence came a little bit, the self esteem, the value. Well, you know what? I'm probably not, not that bad. Like I do have some kind of self worth. Yeah. Like I'm yeah. smart. I got an A. And like that's when it began to like change for me. That validation, that validation is coming from a different those, place now. Those, that grade meant something. You know, like when you told you're, you're worthless and you're going to be nothing in life, uh, you know, you're destined to fail. When you get a B in psychology, you're like, well, a B? That's pretty good. Damn, that's yeah. a, you know, like I held on to that. You know, I, I look like, you know, that's mm -hmm. pretty good. Eh? I, I'm smart. Mm -hmm. I got a B. And it's just like, that's where I began to find that confidence. Like, that's what, that became my escape from prison. That's when you knew, like, oh, I'm doing it. I'm doing it a different way, but I'm still doing it on my own. Right? Yeah, it's just like, you know, I don't, I don't need the homies to tell me I'm good or mm -hmm. accept me. 
Oh, that, you know, that, that, that admissions letter, that meant something. Welcome, thank you. How you doing? You need some help, let us know. Like, well, damn. Like, that attention became something else. Like, I began to, I can't do this. I've never done this. I don't know what, what this come with. Cause like, I didn't have any examples. Like, I didn't have nobody, I didn't have no homies around me telling me how school was going to work out or save me. But I knew it, it made me feel good about myself. Which, and that which was, was something pivotal. And that was something I never felt. I, I never, I never loved myself. Like I never, I never worried about how I felt or what I was doing because I was focused on someone else. And so, when I began to kind of like think about me and like, like, what do you like? Like, does it make you happy? When I began to kind of like ask myself those kind of questions, I didn't have the answers then, but I knew like, like education. This is something that can make me happy. Like I feel good. I, I feel like I can thrive in this. And like that's where I began. That's where my journey really began. You know, uh, once my brothers left, though, with them there, I was able to focus on that. It was always us. But with them leaving the picture, being by myself, I was able to, able to focus outside of us, outside of myself, and yeah, that's where I found education. Right, okay. after so, that, so it was a blessing and a curse, you know. It was a blessing and a curse, man. Yeah. Real quick, um, hey, this I camera, one of the shut cameras, up. Yeah. I don't no. know. Yeah, but you know we're recording directly to the SSD. So those are really yeah. our backups, just in case. Gotcha. Oh snap! We're doing it like that now, huh? So James, take note that we took a break right now to confirm that, just so we can edit that out. To erase that. Yeah. Um. Okay, so you were sentenced to life. You start getting it going once your bros are gone. Um. At what what years were this? And at that time, were were you hearing about people going home, especially from level fours? People weren't going home. There was a good amount of years where people were never going home from level fours, okay. let alone twos or threes, depending on the years. I'm telling you, so uh, so that was uh, my brother. My brother was paroled in 2015. All right, so they passed a bill called SB 260. Okay, so that's for uh, 17, 17 years, uh, 17 years old and younger, right? Being tried as a dope man, they afford you the opportunity. If you weren't sentenced to life without parole, you get an opportunity to go to board in 25 years. The problem with that is you can't even fathom the idea of going home. Like, cause I've already accepted like life in prison. Mm -hmm. So now here it is, 2014, they're telling me, hey man, in 10 years you're gonna go home. In 10 years, like I can barely see next week. So I can't even found the idea of going home in 10 years. So that wasn't even an, an option or a thought of mine because I couldn't see that far ahead. Like I, I wasn't thinking that clear. So in 2014, you know, those laws changed. 2015, you start hearing them chatter. Like, they talking about it. People going home one day. I started attending workshops. Uh, hey, man, you're a juvenile lifer. One day you're going to go home. Mm. But it's like, it's hard... So I accepted the fact that I was gonna get die in prison one day. And I, I come to a point in my life where, you know, life in prison, I mean, you're gonna die here. So I accepted that. So now here it is, you telling me, like, you're gonna go home. I didn't believe it. Like, I couldn't wrap my mind around the fact that, like, one day this might be over, let alone 10 years from now. I couldn't see, I couldn't see that far ahead. So it definitely started uh, then, you start hearing about it. And then you start, you start seeing dudes that you know, like, hey, man, he went home. Yeah. But it was 2017. I was transferred to uh, Lancaster, L Lancaster Prison, right? Uh, how, had, how, how many years did you have in? My, sorry. By that time, I had 17 years in. So 17 years in, 
I could see where you're definitely not like, you're like, fuck, I'm 17 in already. Like, well, ain't nobody going home. Yeah, nobody going home. You don't see right. it. And also, too, it's like, if you focus on, like, like that's a stress and worry, too. Especially uh-huh. inside. If you if you think about going home every day, or you miss you miss reality, you miss McDonald's, you miss these you know these worldly things, like it makes your time in there a little harder. So you accept you accept life in there. You know we got a yard every day. You know, I'm going to store on this day. I'm get a package this day. I got a visit on this day. Like that was my world until 2017, being transferred to this facility. You began to see like like self help classes. Something I didn't see. 17 years in the system, I didn't see it. Until I got to this institution, 2017, 17 years in, you got classes like victim sensitivity awareness, mm. gang, uh, criminal gang of members anonymous. Mm. You have uh, healing and dialogue. You have CROP, which is a uh, conference reaching out to people. It's a youth diversion program, right? That mentor youth. Okay. Like they bring youth in from the streets inside the institution and give them like real workshops. And, like, and, and it seems I've like a pivot from the scared straight type because we know right. that didn't work. So. It didn't work. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. a pivot from the scared straight. So okay. it's more of a, a mentoring, you know, a sharing lived experiences kind of program, right? And I was fortunate to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And it was like, that was my, my wake up moment for sure because here I was like trying to help 14 and 15 and 16 year old kids. And here I was, I was trying to answer some of my own questions. Mm. So like helping them was really helping me. And like that's where I began to find myself. Like being a part of programs like this where I was able to kind of like not only share my experiences, but also I began to get an understanding. And I was able to open up, you know, and build a connection between not only people who are going through the same things like me, but also these these youth who come in who are dealing with the same things I had went through. Mm-hmm. And so it was twenty seventeen that I began to kind of like involve myself mm-hmm. in self help programs. But it was also uh and I credit Victim sensitivity awareness and healing dialogue, right? For two mm-hmm. organizations that were dealing with, you know, the survivors of crime and also victims of, you know, of crimes as well. And here it is, you began to kind of like humanize, like, like uh, that person I murdered had a name. Like he was a son, he was a brother. You know, uh, do you understand like the impact that you caused his, his family? Do you, do you know what you took from him? And like, like that's when I began to understand, like, okay, not only was I trying to figure out my life and who I want to be, mm-hmm. but also now, now I need to tackle the destruction I've caused in the process. Like now I need to backtrack and realize, like, well, damn, how did I get here? You know, I could give you a list of my accomplishments, but how about what you what you destroyed? And like that whole self help pro- was a process for me, because now here it is, you're forced to not only try to understand yourself. But also, you need to understand, like, you know, uh, how your actions affect so many people that you didn't even realize. And uh, that's when it started for me. 2017, I began to, like, you know, involve myself heavily into these programs. Because unlike the gang, where I was silenced on the sideline and I was scared to speak up, I had all these questions, but I was scared to ask. Here it was in this, in this rehabilitative process of the institution that they offer. Now I'm like, I have questions. People are willing to answer them. Or I'm going through something, I'm feeling some kind of way. And somebody's there to tell me how it is and like how I get through it. So that's what made 
that's what shift my uh, definitely my attention to, to like focusing here because right here I felt like I was getting somewhere. Like right here I was growing. Mm-hmm. Right here mm-hmm. I was able to mature. I was able to kind of be myself, but also mm-hmm. I was able to begin to think for myself. Mm-hmm. Something I had never done in my life. And it wasn't until I began to involve myself in these programs that I was able to start thinking for myself. I began to question myself and not being scared to do it. And that's what really, uh, really, really changed, changed the trajectory of my life at that point. Thinking for myself and like having that space where I felt comfortable doing so. Yeah. And that was, uh, that was new for me. So now you start getting into this world where people are going to like the parole hearings and stuff like that, the parole board. Talk to us about your experience with that. You had to prep too for that, right? And now Definitely. you have these new views on stuff. You've been taking classes on it. Mm-hmm. How, what was your approach now going to the parole board? Like, how were you prepping for that? Okay, so, uh, you know, it's uh, that journey starts the second the second you commit that, like, you know, my li- I'm going to change my life for better. You know, I'm gonna stay out of trouble. You know, uh, I'm gonna stop using drugs, alcohol. I'm gonna, I'm gonna refrain from the, you know the criminal gang lifestyle. Like, like that commitment's beginning the moment you start making those choices, right? It's, it's impossible to do two. It's impossible to say I'm ready for board because any infraction they're gonna ding you. Like that, that you risk a three, five, seven, or ten year denial for for these ruling for these small rule infractions right. from curtains and. Uh, you know, uh, di- being disrespectful, talking back, fights, getting high, dirty tests. Like, those are things that cost you three, five, seven, ten-year denials. So when you make the commitment here, like, that's when you're preparing for this board. And so it was it was 2000 and I had my last write-up in 2015. But it wasn't until, until 2017, I said, you know what? Like, I got to make a choice right now. Whether I want to go home, there you go. Take a chance on going home, or uh, or dying here. And so uh, I made a decision. I said, you know what, uh, Miss A. Ford, man, I'm a, I'm gonna do the right thing. And at first, it was it was hard doing the right thing. You know uh, what? What what does that entail? Does that mean saying no to the cell phone? It's doing you know tucking in the shirt at Chow if that's what it requires, and most, I get a. You know what, what? What kind of things? So and so uh, so definitely inside. So he tells like when, when I say doing the right thing, right? It's uh, you know, the drugs for sure. Mm-hmm. Dirty tests, dirty uh, you know, getting high and drunk, right? Because it, it can cost you, right? But also you know like when you're in an altered state, you know it, it increases the chances of you know your impulsivity or you know just something happening. Mm-hmm. Also cell phones, like you gotta understand like if you decide to use a cell phone, there's consequences for it. So all that laying up on a cell phone all night and making videos and surfing the web, like that may cost you. So you have to have, you have to really start considering like, do I take a chance? Is it worth it? You have to start weighing your options now. And so when I say doing the right thing, it's weighing your options. You know, I could I could get high and they're probably not gonna drug test me. But what if they do tomorrow? Are you willing to chance it? And it's like, okay, man, you can have that cell phone and I do I, I you know, this wall phone or this collect call is killing me. I can't get nothing done. But if you can cop the cell phone, are you are you are you willing to spend another five years in prison? 
So doing the right thing is weighing your options. Something that we never did, right? A lot of, especially inside, we never weighed our options. It's just like, you know what? Uh, we just we were so impulsive. Like, I don't care about the consequences. I'm just do it. But now you get to a point where you realize, like, okay, look, these choices I'm making, it can potentially jeopardize my future. You know, and although the future might be five years from now, it can jeopardize it. And so I came to a point right there when I started making those, like doing the right thing, like everything was, everything was, okay, man, is it worth it? You have to really sit down and talk to yourself, like, can I take a chance on this? Like there were some times I took a chance, I took some chance, a lot of chances, but I understood the chances I was taking. And that's something I never did before. Because every time in my life, I just did shit because I wanted to. Right, right. Like consequences, I do those later. I got life in prison, like what's a write-up? It's not going to hurt me. So I took a lot of chances. But the, like I say, that was something I hadn't, I hadn't done in my life before. I started thinking about the consequences. Like, you know, I can do this right now, but can I really call home and tell my family, like, I got seven years denial because I wanted to smoke or had a cell phone, get caught with a cell phone? Right. Like, some of these things start, like, you can't really, how do you, how do you, if you put them, if you weigh in your options, how does having a cell phone going to cost me seven more years in prison? It don't make sense. So you have to begin to sacrifice these little things that you feel like is momentarily, you know, rewards or, you know, gratification. You know what? I'm willing to step back from this. That means I can have this one day. And that's how I start feeling. Like, the things that did mean something to me at that, at that time in my life or in the system, like, it began having a, losing its effect or power on me because now the thought of, I, the thought of going home was getting closer. Yeah. yeah. It went from 10 years when I first heard about it to now six years, you know, five years. And I was like, you know what? Damn. When you do, like, in prison, right, time means nothing, right, because you do so much of it. Mm. You know, we, we waste time. But we talking about, hey, man, in five years from now, man, I'm going to go home. That shit seemed like tomorrow because you, you, like, you don't value time. You just sitting stuck. So when I got to five years, I'm like, I'm gonna be home in five years. I was talking about five years like it was tomorrow. Like, you got five years still, man, but that's soon. One, two, three, four, five. One, three, four, five. You know, five summers, five Christmases. Like, you find a way to deal with it, get through time, right? And usually it's football season. Well, that's five uh, five seasons right there. Five Super Bowls, huh? Uh uh. Then I'm gonna be home. And uh, that's when it began the process start for me. Like you, you know, you mentioned a uh, family. I'm curious. Was was I hope were your grandparents still around? Yeah. So uh, no, unfortunately, my grandfather died. My grandfather passed oh, away Sorry, three months after I got arrested. So I was arrested in July 2000. He passed away in October no 2000. Way. Oh wow. Yeah. I, I just I don't know. I I'm a little. Uh, it got me thinking. Like I think he would have enjoyed seeing the the Dion that we're talking with today. Most I think definitely. he really would have if he would have had a chance to see that he would have just been like mind blown. Like right. you know, like And it's one of those like uh like uh like like now I have now I've grown up and matured man. Like I understand like I said when I said tough love, like I get what he was trying to he was trying. Yeah. He figured he seen how my big brother went, right, and how how his life ended. And he knew he knew life he he knew that was gonna be in his future. So when he got when he my brother got life in prison at when I was nine years old, my grandfather was scared. He was scared that if he did something that was gonna happen to me too, and me and my brother too. And unfortunately, like it did happen. And so now I've seen how he was like like adamant about like I'm gonna break you out of this that I felt was hate. 
Like it was actually love, but just just in love, his way. The strongest type of love. He didn't want you to go down that. He didn't know what else to do. He didn't know? know what else to do. So his approach was horrible. But now I understand where it was coming from. Because everything he told me came true. True. Like everything, everything he told my everything my grandfather told me came true. But it, it just took for me to go through this to understand it. Yeah. And like you said earlier, just like off the record, you're talking about like your kids. Like when you when you're 20, 30 years old, you understand it then, but today you might not get it. Yeah. And so everything he's told me, like it came true, but it just didn't come at that, not at that time. So my grandfather, my grandfather passed away in October, and my grandmother passed away six years later. Oh man. And so uh not having my grandparents in my life, right? Like that made it even more harder for me in prison. And uh like having my big having my big brother in my life then, like I was able to kind of like, like I knew like that was my last person there for me, I knew. And like I, I he was here with me. And he was trying, I could see it. And so I was definitely uh, appreciative appreciative, you know, thankful to have my big brother in prison with me. Because like uh understanding today, like he saved me. I came out of system lost. Right. And I was misguided and I was impressionable and I wanted to I wanted to be somebody. And uh having my brother around me, like he didn't like he didn't he didn't allow that. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't he didn't allow me to, you know, follow through on that. To throw yours away. Throw mine away. Yeah. And at that time I felt like he was tripping, uh, you know, he didn't get it. But now I see like, like uh like how how like how those things he did saved me. Yeah, you know, having him around in my life, and you asked me how was it having your brothers in prison. It was a, uh, it was horrible, knowing that like you know, my family was all locked up. And you said at a point in time, four of you guys were all together. So it was uh, so we all crossed the, we all crossed the system together at once once upon a time. So it was my twin brother, and my other brother together in the county jail. It's me and my big brother together. It was my other brother and me passing by like we all crossed paths, but. It was in Calipatria where the old, my oldest brother and us two were together, like yeah. on the yard for years, right? But we all crossed each other's paths, and uh, like looking back on it, man, like that's what, like that's what got, like that's what, that's what got me through it. Like that's what, that's what got me through it, man. Yeah, years is a long time to be able to be with your family like that, like yeah. a long time. Most definitely, and uh, you think, uh, you know, once you go through it, something you never want to go through again, though. Mm-hmm. Like once he left, and once once we got broke up, it wasn't something I wanted to do again. Cause like I realized it was hard, like it, it was you know your, your waking days is not just about you, you know prison is like man you by yourself in here I man you move by yourself, but not, not my experience was different, right? Like every day I had to move with my brothers, mm-hmm. so it's like one go we all go and that's when we just stuck by and like that part was stressful, you know, like having them around like always being constantly worried about them right if we move are we gonna go together if something happens we need to make sure we right there together. Like that shit was stressful. Yeah. Because you're trying to like, so now you're trying to place yourself in situations that's not there. Like, going to the yard today, bro. I'm, I'm gonna stay in. Well, I'm going. Well, I'm going too. So now you're you're making yourself available for these situations just in case. Mm-hmm. So for so many years, I live I lived in a moment of just in case. Yeah, it go bad. We're gonna go back together. And uh, like that's how I spent a lot of my like my, my incarceration. So, like them last eight years I did by myself, it was uh. It, it was it was a hell of a time because like I learned so much about myself. Yeah. Like I learned so much about myself. Not only like did I have what it took take to stand on my own too, but also man, I had value. Mm-hmm. 
like uh, I had a story to tell. You know, uh, I was caring. I'm, I'm, I'm loving. Like these, all the things I, I realized, I discovered about myself going through this process these last eight years, the point where I like actually started liking the person I was. I'm like, well, damn, how did I? How did I? How did I give up on me? Like I started like I didn't understand how, how did I gave you give up? up on you. That's deep. Like, how did yeah. I give up on me so long ago, man? And here it is now. Like, like I, I love this about me. You know, I'm caring. I'm passionate. Like, you know, I'm a hard worker. Like, I'm I'm, I'm reliable. I'm dependable. Like, I start I start finding out these traits about myself that like, damn, like you you you're worth something. Yeah. And I began to put value. I began to place value on my life, on myself, man. And that made it easy for me to respect those around me. You know, uh, like, you understand how important it is, right? Especially, like, like caring, being considerate. But also being always being mindful of, like, mm-hmm. how the choices I make can affect so many people around me, whether it be my family or someone else's family. Right. And those kind of things made me a better person, mm-hmm. like, growing up these eight, you know, these eight, these past eight years. So now... So- Oh, yeah, ahead. no, I was going to take it there. I think we're going to the same place. Yeah. Um, so take us to, so it obviously worked. Those eight years really served the purpose because you're here now exactly. and you were able to be, people don't understand. They don't just let you out. You're, you get vetted by oh, a jury okay. damn near of oh, however many people. Um, take us to the day of you being granted parole, having to go through the board and then coming home your first day. Okay, so most definitely, uh, you know, if people tend to think that too, man, they think just, you know, you do you, you go do 20, 30 years in prison, they just let you go. Yeah, no. And that's the total opposite <laughs> no. of what it is. Mm-hmm. That's what they don't do, right? Mm-hmm. So it's one of those, man, like you're being judged all over again. You go in there. So our process started six years prior, man, like staying out of trouble. That's the first thing, stay out of trouble. But also, man, uh, involving myself in not only just self-help programs, but also education, further my education. So here it is, I'm, I'm working, I'm grinding. I'm going to classes, two, three classes a day. I'm pursuing my bachelor's degree in communications. After after being awarded my uh, my associate's degree, like, like I'm putting in the work. Uh, I'm surrounding myself with positive people. We're talking about things. We're opening up. We're gonna understand how this go. I'm thinking about what kind of life I want to live after this. Yeah. What kind of person I want to come home to, right? And that was, that took years. I remember. Uh, I, I was given my uh, parole. I was, I was granted a parole date, and uh, a year a year before the process, I started doing the work. You start right now, you know, doing all your insight statements, your remorse letters. You start, you know, you start trying to cover all the bases because they're trying to deem are you still a threat to the society. Correct. Yeah. Like that's the main. That's the that's the main focus of this hearing is are you or do you still pull a threat to society? And so my thing was, and a lot of our a lot of guys who've been through it. How can I make sure, how can I show them I'm not a threat to society? And that required, you know, disciplinary free, you know, doing the work, you know, uh, writing, being able to talk, express myself. And so I started, I started the grind. And uh, going in parole board, it was, it was two, it was an hour and a half. It was an hour and a half. And I remember going in there, like I, I couldn't, I couldn't think straight. Like my mind was racing. And I wasn't scared of saying the wrong thing. I was more so scared that they didn't understand who I was today. Cause I went in there and knowing like, hey, look, why are we here today? Like that's you that's typically the first question they ask you. Why why are we here today? You know? They asked you that? 
Yes, that's the question they ask. Like, what do you know why we're here today? And you want to say the typical person say, well, I'm here to be found suitable for parole, or you know, be see if I'm suitable mm. to go home or not. Right. And it's like you missed it. Mm. Like we're here today because on July third, two thousand, you senselessly murdered a young man. Oh man. Okay, that's and attempted to take the life of his father and brother. Like that's why you're here today. Now everything you did outside of that. We can get to, but you're sitting here today because of the choices you made when you were 15 years old. And so going in there, I knew this college graduate, you know, this facilitator, this, this youth mentor, like that's not who went in that room that day. It was that 15 year old kid who murdered someone. Like, that's how I was there that day. And so when I went in there, that's all I thought about. Like, damn, like the awards is cool. The, the certificates, certifications are, are credible, they're knowledgeable. We give you credit for that. But like you, you murdered someone. So now here it is though, you do the work, you get past it, you, you, you healing, you, you, uh, you open up, man, you address it, you write your remorse letters. Like you go through all this process that comes with this self-help program. But then you gotta be mindful of like, like you still that person. Like you still did that. And so now, going through these process, these hearings, like that, that weighs heavy on your shoulders. I did all this work, but I murdered someone. Like, like how, how can they forgive that? Like, nothing I can say here today or show them today gonna change that. And so that's how in that hearing fell in. And so it was about, it was a, lot, a lot of hearings about myself. You know, uh, how did you grow up? Uh, how did it affect you? Like uh, seeing your mother addicted to drugs all your life, like like what did that do to you? You know, coming to prison with your brothers, following his footsteps. How did that do? Like what did that do to you? Coming to prison at 15 years old, how did that? How did that change you? And just uh, it's a lot of insightful work. But it's like I was fortunate enough to where I had began doing the work with the, through those programs, where I had began to ask myself those questions. So when they when they asking me. Now I can give them answers. Mm. You know, uh, why did I join the gang at such a young age? Not only was I looking for acceptance, but I felt unloved. But also I felt worthless. I had low self-esteem. And being a part of a gang gave me value. You know, I felt love being around them. I felt love to the point I was willing to kill for the gang. And I, and I did. And so we talk about, was I impulsive or not? Oh, Yes. I never thought about the consequences of my actions. I knew in order for me to get to where I wanted to be, I had to go through this. Like my life was over and I hated myself. And I wanted to be someone else. And in doing so, I had to do all these things. And unfortunately one of them was murder. I had to do that. And that's how I felt. Like that's what I took on as, as, a, as a kid with all those feelings and insecurities. You know, somehow, this was gonna give me this this value and validation yeah. that people are gonna respect me and love me and, and, and always want me. Like I didn't care about who I hurt. C crazy how something like that makes sense at that time, huh? Yeah, like especially as a fifteen year old, and yeah. you know, today, like even talk about my fifteen year old self, like I'm puzzled. I'm like, like how did thinking? You, like how did like <laughs> yeah. how did you? What made you think that? Like how did you get to that point where you thought that was gonna be cool? Yeah. And so. I think about it like 
even today, you know, uh, like even being home now, right? I've been home six weeks. So, so they grant you parole. I grant me, grant me parole. First shot, first parole board first hearing. First parole board hearing. I'll what did you parole. think when they said you're you're because you obviously have to wait what like thirty minutes as soon as you finish that you got to wait in the room, Most wait till they can call you right back in. What happens that time as soon as they call you back in they tell you. So, I go in there. You don't know how you did what you said. What, right. If what you said, they don't give you no feedback right then. And they're mm -hmm. just like ask these questions and okay, okay, like. You do most of the talking. And so I remember going back then to the, uh, the holding tank, like all over the place. Like, I missed this. I missed that. Like, uh, I forgot to say this. I should have told him this. Oh, man. Like, you start, you start eating yourself up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I was called back into Rome, and the commissioner told me, she said, uh, you, didn't have to, you didn't have nothing to be nervous about today because, like, you... We see who you are today. Like some people come here, like it's not a matter of showing me anything. Like we want to see if you understand, like what you did and the people you hurt, or how the choices you made in your life affected so many people, including yourself. Because you said, uh, and I was, I was taking it back and like surprised. She said, uh, like you are, like you are one of the reasons why we make these juvenile laws. Because people like you, mm. you know. Who they who sometimes they, they benefit. And I thought to myself, like, uh, come to the system, like we call it a graduating class, right? In the juvenile, uh, in the juvenile system. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you turn 18, you graduate to, to, to prison. So we call it the graduating class. And I thought about my graduating class. We came to the system with me. We were probably like 30, 40 of us, uh, all juveniles coming to the system. And I remember I couldn't, I couldn't think of like more than five people who actually made it through. Like a lot of the guys who came to the system with me, like like still stuck. They're not stuck on drugs, the gangs, uh, more new uh, new cases. Like they stuck. And so when she told me, uh, like these laws are for, these laws are for people like you who take advantage of them. Who really maximize the opportunity that's given to you. And like. Mr. Wilmer, we don't know why you're here, like how far, how you made it to this point. We're glad you did. And that right there was like, damn, I did the right thing. Like this, like this is what doing the right thing pays off. Mm -hmm. Because I could, I can't tell you five of the guys who came in with me who actually made it out the system. And like, uh, that's one of the things I felt fortunate enough to do. You know, I'm not. It's not fifty of me walking around right now. You know, the, the, the number of kid, uh, juvenile offenders coming home who actually been through the system like me, like, we didn't come home in droves. It's like, it was like, like a few of us. Yeah. And so I'm mindful of, like, I made, I made it. So going into that tank and coming back out and her telling me, like, you're being found suitable for parole. Is like, that the exact wording of it? I've always wondered. Uh, are you, uh, you, Mr. Dion Whitmore, did, you've been found suitable for parole? Yes, that's what, those are the exact words. Man, so that's what you wait to hear. Mm -hmm. You wait to hear, like, you know, they talk, they got a lot of formalities. And the only thing you focus on, like, suitability. And that's what you told me, like, Mr. Whitmore, we find you suitable for parole today. Uh, we're going to read over the formalities. And it's just like, they just breeze over it like that. But the only thing I focus on was, you found suitable today. And like that's where I like that's where I got stuck at. 
And I'm like, wow. She said, suitable. Damn. Like, I was lost. Like, I'm lost in the sense that, like, I didn't know how to feel. I was like, do I cry? Do I, do I, do I smile? You know, do, do I jump for joy? Like, I didn't know how to feel in that moment because it was something that I never thought I was going to have. Like, although I did prepare for it, I planned for it. Yeah. Like in my head, in the back of my mind, I always thought like it's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen to me. Like I'm guilty. Like I wasn't. I wasn't just at the wrong place at the wrong time. I didn't just walk by and something happened. I was guilty. I was guilty for murdering someone. And so, up until that point, I just thought like it's not gonna happen for me. Even even after doing the right thing, it's just not gonna happen. Seeing people go home around me, I just think it's gonna happen for me. And so her saying me, her, the commissioner telling me, hey, Dion Whitmore, you're being found, you're found suitable for parole today. And she just moved on. All I could, all, all I could hear echoing was, you're found suitable. And did I, did uh, you question it? Like, damn, did she say what I just think she said? I said, I said it to my, my lawyer was sitting there looking. She said, Dion, you can, you can relax a little, man. Ooh, you're like, you, man. you're suitable. And I was just in a daze. I said, like, I didn't, like I said, I didn't know how to feel. Cause I, it's something I had never felt. Like I never felt like you know, uh, I got the life, I got life in prison, and like I didn't feel anything, you know, because I, I accepted it. And now here it is, you telling me, after 23 years in prison, that you find you suitable for parole. I didn't know how to feel. I, I didn't know how, like, like joy. That's something I really feel. Like that's, that's something. That's not a feeling I, I felt in prison. Yeah, for 23 years. 23 you, years. you don't feel joy. Joy isn't yeah. a feeling that you, you know, everybody knows what joy feels like in prison. Or, you know, happy. My happiness mm -hmm. came from doing things with, like, true happiness. Like, like, I've read books about happiness. I never felt that kind of happiness. Mm. I've been happy before, but, like, the true feeling is happiness. And so, I don't know, I didn't know how I felt. So, I was just like, damn, it really, it's really happening. And so, I was released on September 8th. So this is literally a month and a half That's ago now, something yeah, three, like that. Three, three months, three months later, I was released. I released on a Friday, like today. So I've been good, good Fridays for sure. Released and, uh, on a Friday. Who, who picked you up? Yeah, who, who got you? I'm brother, maybe. You know, brother, uh, they, they didn't come. So it was, uh, it was a mini release. So my wife ended up coming to pick me up. Okay, nice. So through this whole thing, you have a spouse, somebody I, that that yeah. would you say wrote it out with you? We didn't get into too many. Too, most too? definitely, uh, most okay. definitely wrote it out with me, man. A uh, big supporter. Big, very big supporter, man. But also, uh, you know, you having someone on, which in your life will believe in you. Correct. Believe in you. That means that, a lot. That, yeah. that means a lot, right? So, having my wife on my side, as I was as I was growing, you know, uh, to have her support, but also those words of encouragement, or those, you know, the, the motivation, you know, especially when I when I when I was in doubt and questioning a lot. Yeah. Like having a supporter right there with me. That meant everything now. Like understanding that meant a lot to me. What would you say, like someone that, that this is what I the way I interpret it, and this is the way I felt too. And my spouse is like somebody you can be vulnerable with that, and that kind of takes you outside of the world for mm -hmm. that Most quick definitely. fifteen minute phone call or the letter. You're like I can find I can open up with no worry, with no, you know. Most definitely. So you like so one thing you find out find out in there, you figure out fast is like you can't really be yourself. Not in the system. You can't be yourself, right? But it's that one person in your life. You know, you usually our spouse and my wife. It's like I was able to be myself. 
like, like you say, for those, for those 15 minutes in that visit, it's like, oh, they were kind of like, I didn't worry about, yeah. you know, what someone thought of, you know, how this may seem or appear. I hear it was, I had someone in my life who was genuine, who was here because she wanted to be here with me. And so I knew I would get the truth. Like I knew, I knew that I couldn't go wrong expressing myself and being vulnerable. Mm. Like, like I didn't feel like I was gonna get hurt. And so I was able to, I was able to open up more. And so my, uh, my wife is definitely like, she's the first one to actually like listen to my stories, read my letters, you know, my writings. Hey, what you think about this? And to have her input meant a lot because I didn't, I didn't necessarily have that there. I was scared to show that side, you know, the vulnerable side. Yeah, mm-hmm. You don't, you don't really want to. Hey, man, I'm, I'm vulnerable right now. I want to open up. Like you don't really have that yeah. safe space in there. So, being fortunate to be have a wife on my side who's been very supportive, like I was able kind of, I was able to share my experiences, even my my fears and doubts, and like you know, be kind of like, hey, you good? Like just just keep going. Or all right, tell me more about it. Talk more about it. Like like, what are you scared of? Right. You know, like. That meant a lot because I, I couldn't I couldn't do it there, and so having someone in my life uh, I was able to kind of share that with meant a lot to me. That's great. Most so definitely. so where'd you uh, parole from? Uh, Lancaster. Lancaster. So she drives out to Lancaster. She drives out to Lancaster. And, and, and she drives out to Lancaster. Get me, and uh, you know as I was on the bus, I see her and she nervous. She can't believe it's happening. Oh, the little bus that just drives you to the front, front of the prison. Front gate, yeah, and yeah. you just jump off the bus. So I, I'm looking at the window of the gate, the, the bus, excuse me, I see her. Just looking. And she so just, she, I'm like, oh, I'm just as nervous, right? So got out, got out, man, got in the car, man, and uh, and drove off. I drove off. You drove? I drove, man. You drove your first day? I drove first, first, Bro, first day, man. Yeah. yeah, I drove first day, and uh. And I know, like, you know, people are like, oh, you shouldn't have did it, man. You can take chances, right? So it's one of those, like, like I had to do it because, like, I was, in control, I, was, I was in control of my life. That was the first sign of that. That was the first yeah. sign of me, like. You know, you knew how to drive? That yeah, so, was, I, I, so I left driving. So I, I left driving. Like, you know, I drove plenty of stolen cars and also, you know, renting cars. <laughs> That's cars. right. So I had the experience, right? Yeah, so driving, sense. I was in my strong suit. So it didn't feel like a, a box or something because it was 23 and that, like, now you're like, like you know, nah. motion sickness and the you whole know, technology. No, nah, you know, it's like, you oh, know, yeah, I left driving buckets. So it was like, that's where the jumping car is. I'm, I'm in a bucket. So I was struggling. But now here it is, man. It's, it's, it's smooth driving. You know, the road is nice. You you just you hit the gas and go. So when you so put it in reverse and you seen a backup camera pop up, what you say? <laughs> that was awkward. That was yeah, awkward right? for sure, like, right? So it was one of like, was I and was I, uh, you know, amazed? Yes. Driving, I was cool. I felt comfortable. Not to say I was the best driver that day though, but like I had to do it. Like I had, like you know, I felt in control of my life. Like sitting behind that wheel pulling off, I'm like man, you in control of your life now. Yeah. Like there's no, like you can't blame anyone. Excuses all on you, like you're responsible for like for how this how, for how this world gonna turn out for you, and I know driving, driving back that day, uh, that's all I thought about to myself. I said, look, man, like nothing's gonna stand in your way unless you allow it. Like no, nobody's gonna throw you off unless you allow them to. And uh, I had to do it, and like I hit the ground running. Like, I hit the ground running in the sense that I left at 15 years old. And here I was returning 38 years old and 
So so from 15 years old to 38, almost, I'm pretty sure some people won't even recognize you. Exactly. With that many years in... in, in Most definitely. Like, you know, it's a, there's so many, you know, like, you know, and that's the other thing too. Like, I, we said, we're fucking off camera, right? You know, like, you happy. You come home, you're you're excited. You, I'm here now. But also, like, the doubts creep in too. Yeah. Like, those doubts don't go anywhere. Like, those insecurities, they yeah. still surface, right? It's just now today, like, I'm better equipped to deal with them. Mm. But I'll be lying for, to sit here and say if I didn't, if I wasn't scared or nervous, or if I didn't doubt myself, or you know, I didn't have moments of insecurity. Coming back into the coming back to a world where I left at 15, and now I'm 38. I'm going to the banks and I don't know the questions to ask. I'm at the DMV and I don't I don't know what it is you you require of me to get an ID. You know, uh, uh, looking for jobs. You know. Uh, Am I good enough? Uh, are that like, am I worth it? Like, do they see any value in me? Like, I'm a resume, college graduate. Uh, I have this resume, but you can clearly see I'm in prison. It's like all that shit stills, like all that shit Correct. surface. Yeah. And so being home six weeks, like I'm just better equipped to deal with them now. But also the opportunity to come here and speak with you guys, like, like this was a test for me. Like I've been telling my story for those who wanted to listen for a long time. But I know also the power in telling your story. And for those who are going through the same thing that I have been through or you know, currently are going through, it's like, if you want to help and make a difference, like, share your story. You know, like, you like talking. So are you, are you willing to say something that someone can help, can help someone else? Mm-hmm. Are you willing to, like, I don't want to tell the prison story. I've been in prison 23 years, man. I, I did my shit. I'm back. Like, oh, that's tough. Like, that yeah. shit means nothing in this real world, man. Mm-hmm. And it does nobody, it serves no purpose. And so, like, this was a test for me, you know, being vulnerable, talking about what my insecurities and the things I'm going through or been through. But I know, like, uh, this is me being in control of my life. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I no longer let my fears or doubts or insecurities control me. You know, or being vulnerable doesn't shy me away or put me in a corner. I think that's super important, and that's one of the the highlights, man. A lot of people, I run into, like I used to work a lot more with lifers, former lifers, and like I I said, I think I said it before, it was always a 50-50. You get individuals that just kind of automatically write themselves off from being able to do X, Y, and Z. Then you get the lifers that are like, I don't know it, but I've been gone too long to play with it, so I'll learn it. Meaning, cell phone, I'll figure it out. But then you get, like I said, you get some of them that are just like, I'm like, bro, you, you got to snap out of it, and I get it. Yeah. But uh, like you said, and we could definitely touch on it, like you realize that you're sitting in a cell, and you're thinking of these timelines. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to go to Hawaii. I'm going to get a car. I'm going to get an education. And you realize, holy shit, this timeline isn't playing out as fast as I thought. How come the time is off? And you realize this thing takes years to get going out here. It's not like a memory You're the way you thought about it in there. You're like, okay, before I do that, I got to go get the ID. I have to get the social. I have to figure out how to get my Palos Verdes transcripts. I got to figure out how to enroll in college. I got it. And you're like, holy shit, but then exactly. now that's going to take me two years? And you're like, yeah. And then you're like, whoa, these timelines are a little skewed, you know? Most definitely, right? And that's what you learn. You're here with reality fast, right? And that's just what happened. And that's one thing I was telling you about uh, me coming home, like being mindful of. I understand, like, 
Like I've been gone a lifetime, like literally. And so it's a difference between planning and that sale. Cause you got time on your side, you know, you got yeah. all these elaborate, you know, ideas and dreams and I want to do this, this and this. And until you get here and you realize like, well, in order to do this, this and this, you have to do that, that and that, or, you know, you have to do, you have to go through this. And that hit me fast. Like I say, coming home Friday, you know, uh, came home, my family enjoyed it. When jet ski, when jet ski in the next morning, went home three, four hours. I'm on the ocean. B, have you ever been jet I've never been I've jet skiing. I've never been jet skiing. <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. First, yeah, so. Second day out. Do that out of? Down at, uh, down there, uh, Balboa. Damn, man. Balboa, You're the ocean. A nice okay. spot. We went out in Balboa out there, man. Like, going to jet skis, man, and. Being on the water on the jet ski felt free. And I'm gonna tell you another story about that too later. Uh, on the other, the other half of this, but uh, I go out there right. So by the time I'm home, like the fifth day, Tuesday morning come, I'm like, you know, I clean up the house. I'm moving around. I'm, you know, looking for shit to do. I have a phone. Uh, what do I like? Who do I call? And it's like, okay, now what you gonna do? Ooh. Like okay, now, like you home now. What you gonna do now? And like. So those moments of, you know, those joy, they were quickly, like, you know, replaced with reality. Like, hey, like you don't got an ID, you don't got a social, you don't got a credit card, you know. That's uh, a big one, right? Bank. Uh, cash? Who's using yeah, cash like, nowadays? You're like, like, what you going to do? Like, you know, nobody take Like, you know, the, the, the cash you got, everybody down there, like, card. Like, can, can you swipe, swipe a card? Uh, no, I can't go. Well, we're going to take your cash, sir. Like, well, damn. You got, a, you got an account? So, like, you began to go through this quick. And uh, that's when the, uh, you see, it wasn't a, it was like, I didn't experience the pressure of like catching up. But uh, like, mine's more so came from getting my life in order. Mm. It's like, hey man, you wanna drive, get your license. You know, you wanna go somewhere, you need an ID. So all the things I wanna do is like, hey, look, that takes a week. This takes two weeks. Go sign in that line over there. Like, the pressure came from me wanting to get my life in order. You know, like, no longer a Jew, like no longer a fifteen-year-old, thirty-eight years old man. You're supposed to have your ID. You're supposed to have a license. You're supposed to you're supposed to have your social security card. These are responsibilities that a man is supposed a, a, a adult is supposed to have. So, what people, what people may think is like, hey, man, you're doing this stuff, man. You out here, you you getting it going? Like, no, I'm not. I'm I, I supposed to have this already. Like, I, I don't I didn't I didn't take credit in that. That wasn't. Like getting my license in, so I got my license in ten days. I was home for ten days. I got my my life, driver's license. Driver's license. Yes. Okay. Ten days. It's amazing. I, I passed a test in seven days. Excuse me, six days. And I got my driver's license my tenth day. Literally my driver's license. So, but it's like I didn't feel the like accomplishment in that. But it's like you're supposed to do that. You're supposed to have. Yeah. It, like yeah. this is like don't don't take don't feel like this is where it stopped. Like oh man, I did my stuff out here. Uh, I got my L's and my ID. I'm straight. Yeah. It's like, not... nah, man. That's only the beginning like, for your adult. Like, you know, yeah. that's a company's responsibility, man. You're supposed to do that. And so the pressure just sat on, the pressure came on with that, being responsible, like being a father, right? Uh, father? Having to provide. I'm a father. Okay. I have a, I have a, I have a seven-year-old son who has uh, autism, mm. right? And that that in itself is a motivating factor for me, to, Correct. For, the, for me to get it together, right? So a lot of my push and my strive right now and purpose is, like, I'm responsible for him. But also, I have to make a better way for him too. All right, so I have to, uh, I have, I have, I have to get it together. Right, uh, failure is not an option for me because I have him 
depending on me. And I know it's a, like, he's only going to go as far as I take him. And so that's one of my main things and purposes, like me out here today. Like six weeks out and I'm pushing and, and running. Six weeks, Because, yeah. like, I have responsibilities already. Mm-hmm. Like, I, didn't, I wasn't fortunate to come home and, you know, have my mom or father there. I can just sit up in the house and, you know, kick my feet up and take three months to figure it out. Like, I wasn't afforded that luxury. You know, uh, I came home with responsibility and people depending on me. That makes me my push even more that meaningful because like like I have to get it right. Like and I plan on getting it right. Not only for myself though, but those is dependent on me. And like my son is is uh definitely someone that uh I know is counting on me. And, and the dope part about that is you're 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 equipped with the skills that you need to be able to manage this transition. Um right. You've been through too much. You wasted too much time in prison. There's no way everything out here is forward momentum. Don't look at it as in like I'm stagnant. Yes, sir. Um, the what what what's the saying? The worst day out here is not as bad as a day in prison. So right about that. You know, I used to tell people I can sleep at the park and be comfy because I get to wake up when I want, go where I want to go. I'm not in jail. You know. Yeah. Um. So so. Um. So one thing that that we chopped it up about, and I know that that you actually you're equipped. With a pretty solid background resume, when you paroled, you paroled with a bachelor's degree, um, and an associate's, right? So I have my, uh, I have my associate's degree, social and behavioral science, uh, arts and humanities, from uh, Coastline Community College. I got in there, and also uh, I graduated from Cal State LA in October 2021. I received my bachelor's degree in communications. There we go. That's and uh, prior, we go. prior to prior to being released. Uh, I enrolled in the master's program over at Dominguez, right? It's a, they offered us a master's in the humanities. It's very limited, and that's all they gave us. But I came home already involved in the program over there. So currently, I'm pursuing my master's from Dominguez Hills in humanities. Next semester, I'm going to opt out and pursue it in uh, public health. Okay. And nice. apply, my, apply my degree in public health. So I feel I can do a, lot, a whole lot more in that field, being it's so broad. Yep. So coming home uh, in a master's program, uh, a son, you know, been gone for twenty three years. Yeah, right. Oh, it's a, you know, it's de- definitely challenging and uh, intimidating for sure. It's not. So you're a living example of someone that that you could really say it's not too late. I could do it. Like it's not too late because that's one thing that probably everybody thinks. Even the youngsters that may not be part of the reentry field or anything like that that may be listening in right now. I mean, tw- at twenty year old, some twenty one, you're stuck sometimes like thinking, damn, I don't have nothing set up. You are, at what age right now? You are 30, 38. 38, and you are figuring out. Now you know what you want to do, and now you're going to go back to school. It's never too late. You can always keep doing and grinding. Just be mature and know that you got to do it independently oh, for yeah. what you got going on. Most definitely, right? And that's the biggest, like, so uh, I definitely promote higher education mm-hmm. because, like, you know, it, it opened doors for us, right? Especially, you know, uh, and, like, I, I had to use stereotypes, right? But, like, the black and brown community, it's like, for some reason, man, they told us education was a waste of time. Like it wasn't for us, right? So, like, we see the effects of that today. As far as career-wise in the public realm, or you talked about also doing public speaking and stuff like that too. Talk, talk a little bit about that. I mean, so uh, public speaking is something I'm passionate about, especially in this uh, in youth mentoring. Like something I definitely want to get uh, take serious, right? So, I'm looking forward to it. So in the public health field, like uh, 
probably because I've been plagued by it a lot. Like I've, I've also suffered from addiction and mental health issues, mm -hmm. but also like the, uh, the system. Like those, those are two fields that are intertwined, should be intertwined with one another, addiction treatment and mental health. And I felt like uh, I have, uh, I, can, I can relate. Watching my mother battle with, uh, battle with addiction my own personal battles with addiction and mental health, but also with like the system, like friends and family, like it's, it's rampant. And I felt like uh, sharing my story, also just like uh, what I went through, like how the, how better can how they can better kind of like deal with it. And a lot of that comes through like dialogue. Dialogue is like a power in addressing a lot of those issues, addiction and mental health. And so I definitely want to use my. Uh, I'm, I'm planning on using my degree in public health to like kind of like cater to this field right here, this reentry field, but mm. also just uh, underserved populations where addiction and mental health is rampant. Like coming home now, seeing it like homeless all over the place, right? So it's something that like it's, it's an area that I can feel like I can, I can make a change in, and so that's why it's important. I can come in and like get a regular job as a substance abuse counselor or a case manager. I could do all that. Mm -hmm. But in order to like uh, make real change, like I have to come in from the top, and so having that uh, that master's in public health, it would ensure me like you know administration kind of mm -hmm. level, like they'll listen, but also uh, not only would they respect me for having education and being in a room with them, but also like once they hear my story, on why on why I feel it's necessary to try this approach, I feel it gives me only credibility. Mm -hmm. So that's something I definitely look forward to doing with, with my MPH. And it's like, it's a lot of work to be done yeah. out here. So that's why I'm excited about it. And so public health is something that I just, I just love doing. So I don't look at it as necessarily a job, but it's something I'm interested in. And definitely uh, I felt like uh, sharing my story can help a lot of people. And I was saying about the education, like why it's so important for, for me, right? Because there's a younger crowd. Mm -hmm. Listen to this podcast in the system are unsure, like, you know, what to do with their life, like I was and like so many of us are. Yeah. And it's like, okay, uh, you can bang, you can lose your life, some people die, you know, spend lifetimes in prison, come home. But it's like, like I want to show that you have options. Like me sitting here today is understanding that like, there were options in place that I didn't take advantage of, but they can. And so... Like, that's why I'm so freely and open to share my story and what I've been through. Because I understand, like, this can help someone. Right? And so I promote higher education. You know, uh, the power of dialogue. But also, man, expressing yourself. Thinking. These are all the kind of things that I'm, like, you know, telling my nephews and brothers around me. Like, my, my brothers, I said, they're still around, right? And, like, being a first college graduate in the family... Nice, congratulations. Yeah, thank you yeah. for that. Being the first college graduate in the family, you know, so I have my youngest brother, my youngest brother, uh, Daniel. He recently graduated. Uh, he got his uh, BA. Excuse, nice. me, he's, excuse me, he got his AA. He's going for his BA. And then my little brother, Keandre, who linked us up, man, he got his BA. So nice. I'm just kind of like setting that tone for my little brothers, man, like mean a lot to me, man, because, yeah. you know, uh, my twin brother, I misguided. Like, I understood I influenced him. But now here I got two little brothers who, who I'm positively influenced in their lives. Like, hey, man, education. I'm from more education every chance we get. So, kind of like, kind of like, kick it off. Like being the first one. Like means a lot. 
because now I have a little brother who's two little brothers who follow in education as well, and uh, it's gonna save us, man. But also like little homies, you know, there's still guys within this gang criminal lifestyle who who's searching and looking, and so to be an example to them, mm-hmm. people who need it, right? So like, you want to help someone, you want to help those who need it, not not those who you know can use more of it. You want to help those who need it, and so me coming home, man. Not only show them, like, man, people do change. Yeah, yeah. I'm not that same person who went in at 15 years old. The person you heard so many stories about, or you think, or think is this. Like, I'm coming home responsible, man. Like, educa- educated. Like, uh, and I, like, I'm trying to advise them and uh, encourage them to do the same because, like, you have a choice. And some, a lot of your choices will come with consequences. Mm-hmm. But you can, like, right now you're in a position where you can pick and choose how you deal with this. Mm-hmm. And so I want to be that story too. I know I dressed up today and shit because I took this serious, man, but I want to let you know, like, uh, I understand the struggle still. And me being here today sitting in this seat isn't me to say my way is better than your way. Or, you know, you should try this or do that or this is what you're doing wrong. By no way or no means am I trying to convey that message. My thing is like, like the day going to come, we have to make a choice. It can be the day or 17 years later, like, I just spent in prison before I make a choice of, like, you know, I'm doing something that's best for me. And uh, that's, like, that's why I'm here, and that's why I want to, that's the message I want to convey to this, this audience and this crowd who's watching. That, like, like, you can be sitting here in the sense that, like, man, you can make it out. Yeah. Like, you don't got to be trapped forever unless you choose yeah. to. And if that's what you choose to do, then that's your choice. But the day going to come when you understand, like, yeah. There's more to it once you what you think right now. Mm-hmm. And whenever that day do come, like not only are the people willing to help you, but like it starts with helping yourself. One hundred percent. Yeah, I, I love that. We don't we don't emphasize that enough. That like, you know, no one can help you if you don't want to help yourself yet. You got to snap definitely. out of it. Once you're ready, you'll realize a lot more doors will open up. You know, definitely. We appreciate um, you for being here and sharing your story too. I think today. A uh, lot came out today that some stuff that we never heard before, and I'm excited to be able to share that with the world, man. It's a, yeah. Um, and hopefully we can have you back in the future too to to talk some more because I mean you do sound like a mentor. You do sound like someone that's been that's been through it. That's because you have. Yes, sir. And you're doing it already, and you already sound like a man that has got his masters already. I like that. <laughs> that's tight. Yes. Yeah, like I'm telling that. that whole look, the whole that that's yeah. that's 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 what it should be. That's that's sharp. That's if that's what you do, I mean. It looks you don't not look at a place not one bit. It looks like you could be a, a owner of some type of big company or a whatever. It's not like some you know. Sometimes we think in our heads like, oh, I look at it. Maybe I shouldn't. Uh, like no, you're 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 owning it. You're rocking it. That's you know. Yes, sir. Like, also, uh, it could also be the idea of like what people say. You look good, you feel good. That yeah, yeah and you play good. Yes, most definitely, well, man. That contributes to the type of outcomes that you want, a hundred percent. If I was going, yeah, I definitely wouldn't dress like this. When I first, same thing. I'm, I'm everywhere, khaki. Uh, what are those chinos? Yeah, and, T looks ratchet half the no, time. No, I'm playing, I'm playing, <laughs> I'm playing bro. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, uh, something popped into my head. I'm just curious. Maybe, hopefully, people that are going to be watching. Did your older brother ever, ever go to board and maybe get that second chance as well? So currently, right now, my my oldest brother is a. Uh, Pursuing his education, right? He's going for his bachelor's degree right now, right? Something, inside uh, or outside? Inside. Okay. Inside. So, as of right now, he has a he has an LWAP sentence. 
life went and, down. Uh, right it's, now. There's, there's a good there's a good chance with everything with, with the laws changing right now. Uh, LWAP's gonna have action at, board, at parole board soon. Really? Yeah. So within the next, so uh, everything in place right now within the next year, within the next year, man, things gonna be changing for them. Within the next year, very, very, very soon. It's very soon, yeah. So like I say, he's uh, he's he's preparing himself. He's been preparing That's himself for, for parole board, which he's gonna, which I believe he's gonna get. He's gonna get it in the next uh, in, in the next few, man. And I'm excited about it. And excited to support him. But also just be a positive influence out here on him, right? Yeah. You tell me often, like, uh, like although he is the big brother, man, like he's a motivated and inspired by the things I do, right? Especially yeah. like for someone's education and handling my business. So I know uh, this right here is a moment for all of us, especially all my brothers. And so uh, he's definitely uh, he's definitely looking forward to it. But it, like his 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 time is gonna come soon. Oh, I yeah. love it, man. I love it. Your brother's in your mind. You haven't forgot about him. He's striving to better himself and do what he needs to do. And I've, I've uh, personally worked with a few LWAPs, so they're letting him out. Little Most by definitely. little, probably way slower than, than a lifer with the possibility. Yes, sir. But they're still coming home. So, so And it's just, uh, like you said, a matter of, of doing, putting in that work and, and going through with it. Most whether definitely. it's a degree, whether it's the self-help groups, going through with it, doing what you got to do, you know? Definitely, man, and that's what uh, that's what that's what that's what's coming, man. But I look forward to like uh, sitting down with you guys in the near future, man. Like once uh, sure. let's six weeks out here, man. Definitely follow up on this yeah. journey of mine, man. I, so I that we hundred percent want to do. We're yeah. open to. We have a couple cats that are. Uh, we've been so we haven't put it on the internet yet, but we're looking to kind of do a, a part twos or just okay. follow ups of the beginning guests that we had. For the same reason, we realized some of them we did. You know, a week out, month and a half out, two months out, yeah. which is fresh. It's been a year, technically. October, what do we say? September. Yeah, the podcast yeah. has been going on for a year. Okay. So we're like, and we still have access to the guests. And luckily, everyone that we've interviewed is still doing well. Um, or at least, again, you don't have to have it all um, figured out. But they're at least still headed in the right direction. Most definitely. Um, and definitely, that is definitely an option that we want to kind of implement. Do part twos, follow-ups. Oh yeah, I'm so, looking uh, uh, looking forward to it, man. Yeah. Like I say, uh, there's there's great things in the future, man. I see it, you know, I feel it, and uh, definitely, Hosting uh, is one of them, man. So I'm looking forward to uh, building the brand up, man. Like taking this serious. Like I say, today was my test, and I felt like, uh, I mean, you guys made it easy for you, me, you, man. Nah, you nah, passed y'all the fine it, colors. Yeah, man. y'all made it smooth for me, man. I'm keep it real with you, man. So like, like just getting a feel for the room, man. Like I say, this was coming in the lights, the cameras. Like it's a little bit. A little bit, a lot. It's a lot, right? But it's just like, it's like what you got to say is the most. Like that's what mean the most. So yeah, yeah. that right there meant nothing. Like having this conversation right here. So I feel, I feel comfortable in this space, man. And I'm definitely looking into building the brand up and uh, really taking this serious, man. Like yeah, this yeah. youth mentoring or just a public speaking. So I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to coming back, man. Give you on that follow up interview, man. So I appreciate sure. it for the opportunity for having me, and inviting me to y'all space, man. Like it's a wonderful space too. Show, nah, man. thank Appreciate you for you. Uh, again blessing us with with the interview mm-hmm. and and uh, again fresh out. I know it's not easy. A month and a half after twenty three years, yes, not easy to step in these type of spaces. But I'm glad you're putting your best foot forward and you're you're making the attempt to get out there to network to, you know, make it happen. So, okay. um, with that being said, Reentry Network Podcast, uh, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Everything helps. Um, if you guys enjoy my boy D's uh, interview, drop a comment, man. Show oh, it yeah. in the comments. Show some love. With that being said, Reentry Network Podcast, we out. Shout yeah, out. Yeah, let's go. Right. Let's get let's it. Let's go, man. Good. 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 Good.